Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality, easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit lynda.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, Martin Bailey and Don Komarechka join me to discuss Nikon stock hitting a three-year low. The camera store pits four mirrorless cameras against the D4S, plus a Facebook software engineer posts a step-by-step guide on how to steal graduation photos, and finally an interview with photographer and digital artisan Renee Robin. It's Monday, June 2nd, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to discuss some of the cool and interesting things in the world of photography are my good friends, Mr. Martin Bailey and Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Frederick. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. It's it's always good to have you on here. You're you're the wealth of knowledge for this week in photo. Now it's not to say, Martin, that you are not a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> so, cumulatively, you guys humble me. Obviously, so it's a, it, this will be a really good show. Some pretty good topics to talk about this week. Before we jump into that stuff, though, Martin, you are you've been running around like a crazy man. I've been following you on social media, and you've had people in your house making giant prints and all that <laughs> stuff. What what is going on? Yeah, no, we did the um, the first in-studio uh, Pixels to Pigment tour last uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, went really well. It's a small, you know, it's, we actually do it in this room, so we can only fit four people in, but that makes it really personal. And the guys had a great time. Um, we've got, and we've actually set uh, dates for the next one now, so August 23, 24, if anyone's in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, there's it. It went great. We're uh, we're looking forward to doing the next one now. Nice. Um, but yeah, I'm plen- plenty of stuff to be done. I'm sitting here trying to get a couple of articles for for the Craft and Visions Photograph magazine done this week. Um, a little bit of stuff that I probably can't talk about just yet, but uh, like another other exciting things going on. Sure. And then I'll be in Iceland in uh, in Iceland in September. So um, yeah, we've actually got one place left open on that. I you know I almost when I'm talking about places being left open, I sometimes say one place free. And I'm thinking, oh no, uh, someone's going someone's to yeah. jump on that. <laughs> bad choice, bad choice. Yeah. Of words. So yeah. speaking of that, what if one wanted to join you on that Icelandic workshop? How much, how much are they going to be plunking down? Um, that's a good question. It's uh, just under five k, I think, for twelve days. Um, well, that's it. Oh, that's pocket. I could find that in the couch cushions. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I'd need to check. I think it's it's just under it's a shade under five thousand dollars for wow. uh, for uh, twelve days. And you got one you got one seat left yeah. to fill yeah. on that. And where yeah. if people want to join in, they want to grab that last seat. Where should they go to to grab it? Well, a short link that will take you straight there is mbp.ac/iceland2014. 
Wonderful. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm sure after this episode goes live, you will uh, you'll have an overage. So you can, you know, if you have more money than you can handle, Martin, just feel free I'll, to just PayPal it yeah. over to me. I can. Yeah. yeah sure. That's fine. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll just send some now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Just whatever, whatever you want. You know, I'm not picky. Uh, Mr. Don Komarechka, always a pleasure to have you on the show. What's been going on in your world? I see. I, I see from the show notes that you're out and about actually clicking that shutter button again. What's going on? And I'm so excited for that. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, being a, a professional photographer is a lot about being a small business owner, and and I find myself so often getting uh, just caught up in so much paperwork, and you know, you can't find the time to get out and shoot. And I've actually found that it helps me quite a bit to schedule. Okay, you know, this day nobody is bothering me. I'm going out, and I'm going to get some shooting done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it becomes very therapeutic too. You know, it's almost like that becomes my day off. Yeah. And. Uh, this time of the year, uh, it's perfect for infrared photography. All the leaves are on the tree, so I've been experimenting with that. Uh, did some night shooting. Uh, we had, uh, uh, well, it wasn't much of a meteor shower, but there was uh, one that was supposed to happen, and I got out and did some night photography on that night, and macro photography, water droplets, all sorts of fun stuff, um, and some fun experiments, too. Um, I've been doing a bit of hands-on studying of, of the quality of artificial light, you know, LED lights and compact fluorescence and all that kind of stuff to figure out, you know, why bad light is bad and uh, what you can do to make your, you know, the quality of light in your living space or for photo studios and that kind of stuff even better. So that's some fun ongoing research that, uh, you know, keeps the gears working away. What have you, so just, you know, without going too deeply into the quality of light stuff, what... Have you have you come out come away with some top line findings? You know, from 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 a portrait or you know, people photography standpoint, we're always taught that, you know, it, there's two main things, you know, and it's the size of the light source, the, well, a couple of main things, the size of the light source, the intensity of the light source, and the color of the light source that, you know, in varying degrees of intensity combined together contribute to make your quality of light. Are you seeing different things or, you know, what, what are you seeing? Right, so I'm studying primarily the uh, the color of light, and more than just the color, but the uh, the equality of that color throughout the entire spectrum. So, um, you know, natural sunlight and incandescent light, and even halogen lights produce a fairly even spectrum of light. You know, they they cover all the bases; they're not missing anything. Yeah. Uh, but some lights are missing things. Compact fluorescents are by far the worst, um, and in that case, you know, our eyes work in some pretty mysterious ways. We average out wavelengths of light, and uh, our brain computes that differently. So even if there's huge chunks of the spectrum missing, our eyes will still see uh, that light source as white. But if you have a particular object that is reflecting primarily one of the lights, uh, the, the, the spectrums that's missing from the light source, then your colors are going to get all screwy, and you're not going to get the expected results in your photograph. Or if you're looking at a print, for example, you're not going to see the colors that you should be seeing. Uh, so there's some pretty interesting things with that. And LED uh, lights are now becoming more and more popular, more affordable, and so I'm digging into those too. And, and they're not perfect. They're a heck of a lot better than compact fluorescence, but I've got more stuff studying and more different light sources to experiment with and, and get some interesting results that hopefully I'll even be able to do some results cross-camera, like from different manufacturers, to see, okay, well, let's see how a top-of-the-line Canon versus Nikon versus anybody else cameras will perform uh, in showing up you know, the exact same light and, and how they replicate colors properly. And I've got all the stuff here to do that. So Really cool. So what, what's, the, what's the, the end result of this? Is it going to be going to book, an article for a print magazine, blog post, Google Plus, where? 
Well, I'm probably going to do a couple of articles on it. Uh, one that's sort of a, a tip of the iceberg kind of thing, where you get all the basics, and you know, for the average photographer, the uh, the conclusion paragraph is the most important, and that'll give you the information to head on your way. And then I'll write a more in-depth one, and I'm not quite sure where that one's going to end up yet, but I've got some fun ideas. Awesome, awesome. Well, keep me posted. I'd love to uh, help get the word out once you get that uh, get the article and the analysis finished. Will do. Thanks. All right, guys, before we jump into the news, and we've got a lot of interesting news to talk about, I uh, want to give a nod to our first sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, guys, uh, this first story is interesting. I know it's going to be somewhat controversial. Maybe, maybe not. Let me read this with uh, the, the little blurb that uh, Bruce put in the show notes for us. So basically, you wrote in here, Nikon stock hit a three-year low last week, and the recent financial results have prompted a reorg of the company. The company announced net income of 46.8 billion yen for the last fiscal year, missing its own forecast of 50 billion yen. Nikon projected a profit of 45 billion yen for the current year, while analysts estimated 48.5 billion yen. So, uh, in their words, they're saying uh, a reorganization. Uh, actually, I don't know if this is their words, but this is also reported. It says a reorganization of its corporate structure to build a foundation designed to support sustainable growth and establish a more robust corporate culture is what they're trying to do. And by further solidifying its core businesses of imaging and precision equipment while enhancing its instruments and medical business. So, Martin, you're in Tokyo. You're in Japan. So you could probably throw a rock down the street and hit the Nikon HQ. When you see, when you see an article like this or you see these numbers... You know, along with the other sort of market forces that are kind of chomping at these companies, you know, these top-end DSLR companies like Nikon and uh, and Canon, is is just is this another point in the direction of okay, these the the numbers are there and your days are numbered, or is this reorg like okay, they needed to do this and now they're going to come out swinging, they're going to be slimmer, more nimble, and smarter, and and you know less corporate lethargic. What do you think? Uh, I, I would imagine that um, they're going to be, they're going to come out stronger. They're, they're obviously, they're too big a company to just go under. Um, and I, I imagine that the, the, the changes that they're going to make or that they're making right now will probably help them. I am surprised that it takes them so long to, to get to, to the point where they know they've got to change something. 
It's yeah. you know, I mean, it's like Kodak. Just watch watch the photography world, what you know, wash away from them. Yeah. And I um, I'm surprised that it's taken them so long. But I think that you know, they're 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 not going to be in problem. We're not we're not going to be seeing the Canon D4s come out in a few years time or anything like that. Um, you know, it's I'm I'm pretty sure that they'll they'll you know they'll they'll get through it. Um, and also for the sake of the listeners, um, one dollar is a hundred yen. So when you talk about a billion yen, it's about ten million dollars. Okay. So if you, if we're talking the U.S. billion of a thousand million. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that they'll you know they, I think that they they drag their feet on the changes a little bit maybe, but you know it, it's a big ship. It, moving a steering a ship that size is uh, is obviously going to take a little bit of uh, thinking. So. Hopefully they're doing the right things, and I, I don't think that they're in danger. I think yeah. they just they're just doing the thing that they need to do to to get through this and hopefully become stronger. Yeah, it's kind of you know it's like molting, right? The corporate yeah. giant corporations have to go through this process of, you know, every now and then you got to shed off the old cells and you know to stay fresh, let that new the new layer of skin get oxygen and all that. Yeah. But this the story, the whole the, the lethargy, for lack lack of a better word, of the some of these large companies in the industry kind of reminds me of that story of the frog in the boiling pot. Have you guys, you remember that story where I think it goes like if you, if you put a frog in a pot of lukewarm water, it'll be happy. And then you put that lukewarm water on the stove and turn it up slowly. Just ever so slowly over the span of several hours until it's boiling. The frog will never jump out of the pot. Because it's not perceiving the heat increase as dangerous. Whether it's if you know, if you just threw him in the boiling water, of course he'd go crazy. But if you just turn it up slowly, he'll mm. just stay in there until he's, of course, dead. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I I kind of equate that to these companies where it's like, you know, bit by bit something happens and you don't pay attention to it. Oh, mirrorless is coming. Don't pay attention to it. You know, all these different innovations are happening. Mobile phones are taking over. Don't pay attention mm. to it until the water is too hot. And then you you know you cry uncle and it and it's over. Don, do you do you perceive it that way or am I completely off base? Well, I, I think to some degree you're right, Frederick. Uh, you know you look at the point and shoot market; it pretty much doesn't exist now. I mean, there's some niche products out there that uh, you know fit certain bills, but uh, largely cell phones have replaced that entire market. And Nikon is not in the cell phone business, so you know get rid of that revenue stream from them. Mm -hmm. uh, now there there is still some uh, good products in there, but it's not going to be the uh, the workhorse that it once was for them. And you look at the mirrorless market. Nikon has their Nikon One series, and they've produced a lot of cameras and some lenses and accessories and. They've got uh, a good platform, but I don't know if people are biting. You know, when people look to that mirrorless market, they're looking more to the you know, Panasonic or uh, you know, Olympus has some great ones, Sony as well, and uh, those are the people that are really gaining market share in in the camera markets. The traditional digital SLR market, they're those sales are getting eaten by the mirrorless market. Nikon and Canon are are both doing quite poorly. Uh, I think we talked last year. That Canon's numbers were uh, were kind of in the toilet as well. Not quite as bad as Nikon, but they're not doing great. And I just noticed uh, that Canon has pulled the EOS M camera off of their Canon USA website. It's no longer there. I didn't know uh, that. And they never released the uh, the M2 in North America. So you know both of these big guys are are having some troubles adapting to these changing markets. And I completely agree with Martin. 
I think that they will adapt and, and they'll be able to, to, to catch up, but most of the things that they have been doing for the last four or five years have just been evolutionary and reactionary. Right. They need to well, sort of take things a step forward and, and make a splash, you know, make some waves and, and get attention. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been playing it safe. It kind of reminds me, you remember, you, you guys may be too young to remember this, but there's this, uh, you remember Monty Python's Flying Circus? Remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so do you remember, you, you remember the skit where they had the killer rabbit and they backed, yeah. they backed the rabbit into the corner and it would just lunge at people and rip their necks out? You yeah, know? Yeah. So these companies need to go into killer rabbit mode, right? So they're like mm. backed into a corner. It's time to act irrationally and do mm. something crazy at the end. So I'm going to put mm. you both on a spot here. So if you are uh, Martin, and I'm going to let you go first on this one. So yeah. you are the CEO. Of or chairman of the board or however they're structured over there in Tokyo yeah, yeah. of Nikon corporate you you know people you know try not to make eye contact with Martin when he comes in the room because he's got he wields that much power you can govern the the direction that this company goes for Nikon what's your next move I mean what should playing armchair quarterback what should Nikon do in other words over the next two years or so in order to prove that they are the leader that they say they are. Well, I, I think that both Nikon and Canon have a, they've got to get some something strong in the mirrorless market. And I think that their current um, Canon, like Don just said, you know, pulling the M, that's just, that's just a part of it. I think what they need to do is to have a small bodied, full frame um, mirrorless camera, uh, a strong one that's probably weatherproof as well, because people are moving people are going over to the mirrorless market in droves right and and i think that they need they both need something really strong maybe even a couple of a high end and middle mid range sort of mirrorless and i think that the you know nikon also we got to remember that all you know although we're saying that that canon and nikon are are being um you know a little bit reactive uh, we've got to remember that canon actually released a whole range of video uh, DSLR lenses and and the the 1D the 1D uh, body was the 1DX was also released for video only well not video only but pretty much a video camera right. so can during this last few years Canon have actually really moved into video DSLR in a big way um, so they they're not sitting on their hands as quite as much as Nikon are but they've they've got the um, you know, they, they both really just need something really strong in the mirrorless market. And I think that it it could even be, um, you know, just a, like I say, a, a, a smallish DSLR, but take the mirror out and, and make it, you know, just something. It needs to be small because the, the big attraction for mirrorless for everybody is is the size and the weight. So it needs to be small, but I think that they could probably, I know that a lot of people would prefer, me me included, if you're going to go to mirrorless, something full fra uh, full frame is really wet the way I would go. I won't yeah. I won't go into mirrorless if I have to go to a an APS-C or a smaller um, sensor. It's got to be full frame, and that of course might mean that they can develop a new range of lenses that has smaller backs, uh, yeah. you know, so that they're closer. They don't need to be that distance from the from the sensor. Right. Um, right. So I think that you know a, a, maybe a new range of lenses or a few key ones, but also you know, there's obviously going to be an adapter so that you can use your existing lenses as well to make the, the step over, the crossover more or less painful. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and they, it, 
I don't think, you know, of course, again, we're playing armchair quarterback, but I don't think it's rocket science. You could look at what Sony's doing with their A7 and A7R mm-hmm. and the new A7S, right? And the success that folks like Panasonic are enjoying with their GH4, the 4K, and, you know, and Olympus with the OMD EM1. You could look at all the, the successes and look online and see what people love and hate and synthesize that into something irresistible right? and make that and then you know sell it at a really attractive price and you know and and keep going don what do you what do you think you're arm you're you're the ceo of nikon right now what or canon for that matter what what do you do in order to ensure the uh the future of your company going forward well, uh, I'll start by echoing Martin's sentiment about the mirrorless market. That's the fastest growing market that I can see right now. And, you know, the two big companies are really not playing ball uh, in that court. So they, they need to do that for sure. Um, and uh, Martin was mentioning video. And uh, the Nikon released the Nikon DF, which right. uh, apparently great camera doesn't shoot video. Yeah. It doesn't right. cost Nikon anything to allow that to shoot video. Uh, you it know, probably the, cost the, them something to take it out of there. <laughs> it probably did because the processors and the software and everything are already inclusive to those features. So yeah. it kind of makes me scratch my head and wonder what they're doing. But I like that kind of experimentation. In a different mm-hmm. way, I like when companies produce a niche product that's destined to sell like 12 units uh, just to test new technology. And you know, you know what? Uh, uh, Lytro coming out with their their new camera, and there's some really interesting innovations there. What yeah, happens? If, yeah. yeah. What happens if Canon or Nikon roll some of that technology into one of their cameras? They'll sell very few, but maybe that's going to be a stepping stone to a true uh, revolution in this kind of technology. Instead of just making it, you know, tweaks and, and fine tuning things here and there, and making them little bits better uh, as we go forward. So yeah. I, I think that. Those splashes, even if they're not designed to sell units, can design to get people talking. And uh, if any of those are successes, then that gets rolled into future products and everything gets better because of it. Uh, but that, that's risk. And these companies at this stage in the game are probably pretty risk averse. Mm. Yeah, and, and presumably both of you guys know how big companies operate, you know, and, and how challenging it is to, like Martin, you were saying, how to, to turn that ship away from the iceberg. It's it's a big deal, you know, consensus building inside and, you know, the politics and all this stuff in order to get things done. It, it's sometimes an act of Congress to do that. These companies have been around. They've got an established market share. And when I say these companies, I'm talking Nikon and Canon specifically, but they've got an established um, user base of folks that are rabid fanboys about the about the products that they make that are out there making great images. Canon has their new Bring It ad campaign. You may have seen that. You know, so they're 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 doing this stuff now. Is it is it is it going to be too late? You know, like Martin, you said the onslaught of mirrorless is coming fast and furious. Mm-hmm. By the time they get their stuff together. Is it going to be too late, you know, by the time they figure out, okay, let's stop having meetings and actually make some action here. Hey, look, the mirrorless ship has sailed, you know, three months ago. So what do you think? I think it definitely is. I mean, it's not going to be too late, but I think that they've already lost the revenue and a lot of customers because it's difficult. Once someone leaves and invests in a whole new lens system, they're not going to come back, not not very easily. Um, And that's why I'm saying it's got to be a killer when they do release something in the mirrorless market, it's got to be killer. It's got to be enough to not only 
stop their current user base from jumping over to a different manufacturer's mirrorless. It's got to be enough to bring the ones they've already lost, the hordes that they've already lost back. Um, but I, I actually, there was one other thing that I'm, I wanted to mention earlier and forgot. Um, I think that there's also, I mean, most of, probably both Nikon and Canon have a huge backlog of, or, or a huge stash of new functionality that they are holding back on with the cameras that they, you know, they, they've probably got a, a roadmap out five years and they've got all sorts of killer things on the, on the roadmap that they say, okay, we can do this. You know, we can do the, um, automatically exposed to the right. We yeah. can do the, the focus peaking. We can do all of that. Um, stick it in now, guys. You know, if anyone from Canon's listening, this, you know, remember the, um, in Madagascar when the, was it the monkeys that uh, they're in the, they're in the suit and one of them says, if you have poo, fling it now. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. Yes. That's where we're at. You know, for Canon and Nikon, fling the poo. You know, <laughs> I put, think we have a title for this episode. <laughs> this week's photo. Thank you. <laughs> put a put a few of those biggies in the in the sensor right now in the uh, sensor in the camera right now because you've you've got to you know and that's the other thing for that's why I was I'm sort of thinking along two two different tracks here. Yeah. Canon also need a big sensor camera. They they've got the D800 has stole a lot of Canon users um, yeah. from you know the, a lot of people have moved over to Nikon for that and. Nick Canon are sitting here at the moment with 22 at their max, 22 megapixels at their max, and I know that a lot of people, including you, Frederick, don't think that it's about megapixels. But the the flow of users from Nikon from Canon to Nikon for the D800 proves that a lot of people are thinking sure. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you know, Canon, the, you need a 36 plus, hopefully, a, you know, maybe a little bit more, but you need a 36 plus megapixel camera as well. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I I agree with all that, especially the the poof flinging piece of that. That's <laughs> freaking awesome. <laughs> so, uh, Don, do you agree with that that business model, the uh, the uh, Martin Bailey business plan of poof flinging? Yes, uh, I'll, I'll I'll get behind that. But you know, these companies. <laughs> no <need> pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. But th these companies need to hit a product out of the park. You know, they th they need to hit a home run uh, from you know a, a, from a mirrorless standpoint. They have to come out with that killer product, and they have to storm the market. And just like Martin said, they got to get these people back. But it's also you know they have to have something for the people buying their first camera to aspire yeah. to. Yeah. And people, uh, some people might still aspire to having the, the big, bulky, you know, uh, D4 or uh, Canon 1D camera bodies, and those are the top of the food chains in there. And so people will see, okay, well, where can I grow as a photographer? And their delusions of grandeur uh, will guide their their path based on what entry-level products uh, that they purchase. Yeah. And, and so if they don't have something in the mirrorless market, like at the top of whatever ladder that is, then nobody's going to buy anything from them in that product category. So start big and, and make sure that you, you make everybody aware that you are playing this game and that you're not just sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with both of you 100%. It's like act, act bold and decisive and irrationally at this point because your competitors are acting bold and decisive and irrationally. Mm. So making safe decisions and incremental upgrades or changes to the cameras is, and when your competition is adding stuff like you're saying, Martin, focus peaking and all this other stuff, you know, come on, you know, it's, uh, it's time to play. 
I don't know. It's uh, it's going to continue to get interesting, which is why we will continue to do TWIP and report on this stuff. So speaking of interesting and speaking of cameras and mirrorless cameras, here's another blurb that's in the notes, uh, story number two that I want to talk about. So um, this is a, a story that was... Uh, let me read this for you. So it says, speaking of mirrorless cameras, they've been growing in popularity and continue to add more and more features to each generation that's released. One of the knocks against mirrorless cameras and one of the selling points for high-end DSLRs has been their ability to keep up with fast-moving action. That is, until now. The camera store posted a video featuring a field test they did pitting four mirrorless cameras against a Nikon D4S to see if their autofocus systems could compete with a high-end DSLR. The four mirrorless cameras involved in this test were the Sony A6000, the Olympus OMD em one the Panasonic GH4, and the Fuji X-T1. The results were very interesting, although the D4S still performed the best in real-world testing. All four mirrorless cameras kept up very well with the GH4 coming out on top in terms of its autofocus performance. So. At thousands of dollars less, the performance gap between mirrorless and DSLR seems to be shrinking, which could mean the end of the DSLR may not be that far out. Martin, you're a DSLR shooter. You shoot the big cannons, the big guns, the big lenses. You need the fast focusing for those snow monkeys. What do you think of this test? It makes sense? Yeah, well, um, yes and no. I think it's it makes a lot of sense that in that the people that are looking at um, mirrorless cameras want to go into the mirrorless market are going to find it invaluable if they shoot uh, any kind of fast action. Uh, you know, I mean, snow monkeys don't move that quick, but, but flying birds do. And and when you turn on a on a, a boat and you've got an eagle flying towards you, you need this focus to snap in on it. And I think that looking at the tests, I don't think that that would work still because they they were focusing on um, like motocross bikers that they could focus on for a while. They did some interesting tests where they, they, they would, they would um, also focus on the, the dirt in the foreground and then focus on a bike in midair. And that probably simulates very, you know, very much the same sort of thing. So, but, but even then, the guy was saying that they, they are, um, you know, they're still, I think the, the, main, the key point for me was towards the end of the video when he said, that you know, for the price point, um, I think the big thing is the price point. Yeah. If you're prepared to spend seven thousand dollars on a camera, you can go and get the D4S or the 1DX, and they are both at the top of the game when it comes to sports and wildlife. Yeah. And um, he also said that the the blackout time when you're when you're actually making the image with the mirrorless is 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 so long that it actually makes it more difficult to track with your subject. Right. But with the DSLR, at 10, well, the, the, the D4S is 11 frames per second, the 1DX is, is 12 frames per second. Um, so with, at that speed, you don't even see the camera, it's, uh, see the mirror going up and down. You, you're seeing your, you know, our brains, as Don was saying earlier, our brains do so much work for us that you, you don't even see that blackout. Yeah, um, your brain so, interpolates yeah. out the, the shutter delay right. out of there, so you just see a continuous image, right? Yeah, so so the thing is is that, you know, as it's not an apples-to-apples apples, um, comparison, but mm -hmm. if you what he said was that, you know, if you consider the, the $7,000, then you're going to have to, go, you, if you're prepared to buy that, go for your 1DX or your DX, DF, uh, D4S. But 
when you compare it to that the same price bracket on the DSLRs, the mirrorless are now worlds ahead. Um, and you know the mirrorless are actually beating the autofocus on the the lower end DSLRs, the ones in similar price range. And it's only a matter of time before that's not going to be the case. You know, yeah, I'm. I'm not sitting here thinking that I'm going to be a DSLR shooter forever because they're the best and all of this, because I still believe that they're the best right now in this generation, but look at where we were two, three years ago. There, were, there was nothing, nowhere near. The technology is coming on so fast, and these companies are probably being inundated with orders that they never really thought they were going to get because of this big influx of you know the, the hordes of people moving over. I would imagine that they've got a lot more R&D money than they thought they were going to have in the pocket as well. Yeah. So. So they're they're plowing a lot of that back into the into the development of new features and things and, and improving this stuff. It's a, I agree. It's a matter of time. I think there's the price bracket thing that you need to keep in mind, but also even the top end. It's probably only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's an exciting space, and it's like, you know, to to throw an analogy at it, it reminds me of like you know, there's a story I read once. It was about the the uh, old technology of riding horses versus the newfangled technology of automobiles and the people that rode the horses were like you know what that car is awesome and it can go places and get you there fast and all that stuff but I need to cross that mountain over there so my horse can help me cross that mountain can your car cross that mountain you know hmm. so and that was right up until you know that vehicles could cross mountains, you know, and then the horse became antiquated. So you're right, Martin. So we we stay in that. We use the tools that we need to get the job done, regardless of of what they are. And then as soon as the technology presents itself to allow us to do what we need to do faster, better, with a higher quality, then we drop the money and jump to that. Don, do you you agree with that, or do you do you, like what Martin was saying about mirrorless versus DSLR? Yeah, and you know, you look at the the high end digital SLR market when we're talking about multi thousands of dollars of cameras. Yeah. Um, those people that would buy those cameras, I mean, you've got photojournalists, sports photographers, uh, and the like, and there are fewer of these people today uh, in relation to the number of photographers than there used to be. It's not a growing market, and while there will still be people to buy those cameras at those price points. Um, there's less and less money going in that direction. And you look at, uh, I think the, the GH4 does 4K video, does it not? It, it does, yes. Yeah, and you can't get a digital SLR for less than $8,000 or nine. Uh, the, the Canon 1DC is about the only one that does 4K video. And so when those features of autofocus and things that people care about for general, general picture taking reach on par with the digital SLRs of the same price point, and they have all of these extra features in them, mm -hmm. What are you going to choose? I mean, it, it's a no, it's a no-brainer at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, when you when you abstract all this other stuff away, news, complexity, irrational exuberance about a particular brand or camera, you know, it just comes down to we as photographers and image makers are the beneficiaries of all this stuff, right? Because it's as these guys with their giant budgets fight it out and worry about grabbing our dollars, we sit back and wait for them to please us with the latest camera and then we can make our decision, go get it or not. You know, it's a good, it's a good place, place to be in for us at this point in time. Do you guys think that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Um, as if you'd say no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on to this next story, uh, a controversial story here. So 
Um, here's what Bruce wrote in the notes. He says, it's a grad season across the country, and thousands of students are getting their grad photos taken by professional photographers. But according to Jesse Chin, a Facebook employee who works in the photos department, grads shouldn't have to pay for their photographs when it's so easy to steal them. Chin documented a step-by-step -step instruction on his blog on how to circumvent right-click protection on proofing site galleries and then remove the proofing watermark. The post was actually created a couple of years ago, but it's recently picked up, been recently picked up by a couple of popular sites, prompting outrage, obviously, from the photographic community, resulting in the post being taken down. So Facebook engineer. So Facebook is no stranger to controversy or this kind of stuff, especially when it comes to images with, you know, with, you know, its, its acquisition of Instagram and frequent tweaking of its terms of service and, and all that good stuff, essentially saying that they can use our images for anything if we upload them to the service. Don Kamarechka, when you look at this, you know, you're a social media powerhouse with gazillions of people following you and hanging on your every keystroke. <laughs> <laughs> when you see shot, when you see uh, articles like this, what 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 do you think? I mean, what? I mean, obviously it sucks, but what do you, what do you think as a as a pro photographer seeing someone documenting how to commit a crime from a company like Facebook? Well, okay, so it's not difficult to do this. You know, if you've got any know-how in Photoshop and knowing your way around the web, he's not the he didn't invent this process and, and yeah. I'm sure many people have done it before and many people afterwards. Um, the fact that he works at, at Facebook, uh, particularly on their photos team, raises a few alarm bells because that sort of uh, shows me the kind of uh, draconian attitude that they have towards uh, the, the possession of images and, and that they should all, you know, belong to you regardless of who the actual owner is. Um, but, you know, these grads and I mean, I, I can't wrap my head around this. If you are walking into a studio mm -hmm. and you have a professional photographer with all of the setup mm -hmm. and they are there taking your picture, what part of that makes an equation in your head that this image is free? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, 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 you have to make an appointment. You've got to go there. This is usually an independent person, not somebody that works for uh, you know, the, the school or wherever it is that you're graduating from. And so the idea alone that you should take that image for free, I think, is, is, is faulty, and, and I'm sure all photographers will agree to that. And posts like this perpetuate that idea and stick that in more people's minds. And so I, I think that is the worst part of it. It's not necessarily that you can do it, but it's giving you the, um, I guess, the, the, the moral pat on the back saying that this is okay, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the guy, uh, Jesse Chen, I think was his name, uh, works at uh, Facebook. And th this uh, was posted two years ago, and that's when he started working at Facebook. And he did his internship there uh, a year beforehand. Uh, and so, you know, he had been working at Facebook uh, and then was hired onto Facebook while he still had these attitudes towards, uh, you know, copyright and ownership of images and that kind of thing. So, that's tantamount to being an endorsement of your ideas. If you wrote this before you were an employee and then we christened you as an employee after this was published, <laughs> then it kind of says, yeah, all right, we're okay with that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So, it upsets me. Yeah, yeah. Clearly. I mean, it upsets me too. And, and But when I, when I look at this, you know, there's... Parts of my brain are lighting up. The photographer part turns red, obviously. It's like, you know, this sucks. But then the, um, I want to say, citizen and, you know, equal rights for all part of my brain lights up and says, well, this is kind of like 
if someone decided they wanted to post bomb-making materials online, they're not committing a crime, but they're describing in detail how to commit the crime. Are they culpable? And should they be punished, or should we look down on them for writing this information? Especially, like you said, Don, is already, it's not like it's rocket science to do this to begin with. You know, playing devil's advocate, was he wrong by just posting it, notwithstanding the fact that he worked at Facebook? Martin, Martin what do you think? I think that it's, you know, it is inexcusable. I, I'm not sure that I would um, go as far as to say that he should lose his job, but I, I think that there needs to be at least a statement. I mean, it wouldn't bother me if he did because of this, because it, it does show a, a gross lack of respect for for copyright laws yeah. um, and the rights of photographers. But I think it's um, there needs to be at least a a really strong comment from from Facebook. Uh, as to you know how they're going to do how they're going to um, prevent this kind of attitude in the, the at least in their photo um, related development teams, um, but I, I think that there's you know there's really a, a lot of uh, so many people out there. I mean the people that moan uh, not moan I'm, that's the wrong word the people that complain about um, f copyright infringements most are, are of course photographers. The people in the street don't, they don't really care so much about that. And the general attitude is, I mean, it's like I, I remember posting a, a series of, of images on Google Plus a few, maybe a year or so ago, and some guy pipes up saying, are you crazy posting this online? You could sell these. And I'm like, yeah, and I am. Yeah. But what, yeah. what, do you, what do you mean? You think that because I've posted them here, they're free, that you right. can take them? I said, they're not. You know, they're still my photos. I'm showing them you to, you know, but they're still copyrighted to me. And if you take them, you're breaking the law. Yeah. And and he just shut up and went away. But that's the attitude. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people think that once you post it online, it's free for all. And and that's the, you know, I think there needs to be sort of. There probably never will be because there's no there's nothing in it for them. But there there needs to be some sort of education or even government based or schools. We need to educate people on copyright and and make make sure that it's general knowledge and not just knowledge that's shared by photographers that need to keep a roof over their head. I agree, Martin. And I was just thinking I've got the perfect idea for Facebook right here. Is it's trivial uh, for for them to figure out if an image has a proof watermark across the front of it. I'm sure oh, there's yeah. algorithms that they could design that would be able to detect that on upload. So yeah. would it be then uh, logical and ethical to then give somebody a little warning message? I mean, not necessarily stop them, but say, you know, do you own this photograph? And give a brief like description about what these proofs are, what they mean, and confirm that they are the owner of that photograph. And give them a little reminder that, yeah, this is intellectual property here. You might be stealing this photograph if there's a proof on it and you didn't pay for it. And mm. I think that, Photoshop, uh, that, that, um, that Facebook should do this. I mean, it's very easy to Photoshop these things out. A lot of people will just steal them anyhow because they don't know any better, and that's a perfect place to educate people. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up, Don. That's, a, that's the, the other piece of it, because, Martin, you, you, were, you were sort of leaning towards the people, you know, that, that want to do this being ignorant or nefarious or, you know, whatever, whatever their motivations are, but when you look at it from the standpoint of, okay, maybe they are, maybe they're not ignorant. Um, let, let's take, take the example of you know, the MP3 revolution. Remember back in the Napster days when, yeah. when folks were stealing MP3s and saying, well, you know what, I can't really afford to get that anyway, but I want to enjoy that artist's music, and it's so easy to get it 
Mm. I'm going to get it. You know, yeah. that's the that's hot song that. I keep hearing on the radio over and over again. And I can just go click and get it and put it in my little device or play it on my computer. Mm. Path of least resistance is gone, so why not do it? You know, no one will ever know. And you fast yeah. forward to today, it's the same for some folks, you know, especially when you're thinking of the kids that don't have a whole lot of money or even the parents of these kids that don't have a whole lot of money, presumably path of least resistance. Hey, we got these proofs. They're sitting in front of us. Mm. And Mr. Chin there at Facebook, a reputable company, <laughs> has just showed us how to get these so that we don't have to pay for it. Hey, I could save $800 in a couple of minutes. Why don't I do that? I mean, right? Mm. I mean, that's that's kind of what would happen in the real world, Martin, right? Absolutely. I mean, that that's a brilliant analogy there with the, you know, the, the MP3 thing. Mm. I know that I, I mean, I actually went back, and the people will probably laugh when I tell, tell them this, but I actually went back and bought some of the albums that I liked that I you know a few years ago when I mean there were there were places where you could go and I never did the Napster thing and all of that because I because I've been a photographer so long I do respect the copyright laws yeah. probably more than most people I've always bought all of my software and stuff like that um, and I uh, I think that the uh, you know a few years ago though I did have, I think, three or four CDs that I grabbed from a repository in an office somewhere. Yeah. Someone said, hey, you've got to listen to this. And I, the thing is, though, I, I grabbed like, like these three or four CDs, and I actually listened to one of them so much that when iTunes came out, I bought it. Yeah. Um, just because I wanted to pay the person for the, for the pleasure they've given me. But I think I'm certainly in the minority in doing that. Um, yeah. and it, but it's, it's, a, it's a really good analogy. You know, people... You know, sometimes they they know it's wrong, but it's just like you say, the the path of least resistance. But I have a friend, um, Landon Michelson, who used to use use a phrase um, that locks only keep honest people out, and yeah. Yeah. and and that's you know that to me. I mean, obviously here in Japan, in the countryside, almost nobody locks their door. And it, even when I was a kid in England, we didn't lock the door. Um, but then you'd start to hear more burglaries and people would lock the doors. But do locks really stop burglars getting in? No. They, if they want your stuff, they're going to get in anyway. Right. So, right. you know, it's, that seems to be where we are at the moment with copyright as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that MP3 era was interesting because I remember, mm. you know, I'm not naming any companies, but I remember some companies that I may or may not have worked at <laughs> <laughs> that had on the network like terabytes of music. I mean, I had probably like iTunes database level of music. Anything you could possibly want was there. And I remember people, there's a, a consumer electronics store around here called Fry's Electronics that people would just run out to Fry's and buy the biggest hard drive they could possibly get and just yeah. set that thing copying <laughs> down. You know? Come back a couple days later, oh, 25%, almost got it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're right. Path of least resistance and, you know, People will find a way. If they want it, they will get it. So I think the the onus is on us as photographers. Like Trey Radcliffe, you know, he posts giant, beautiful, huge landscape images online daily, right, with no watermark. And I'm, I remember when I first started talking to Trey, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You posted that. I mean, it's like people could print that if they wanted to and get a really nice print out of that. And uh, his, um, I don't know if his stance is still the same, but I would imagine it is. But he said something around the lines of, you know what, certain people are always going to steal, but I'm counting on the people that don't steal to offset the people that do steal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to play in that 
glass is half empty world. I'm going to play in the glass is half full world. Converse to some other photographers that I know that are very litigious, and if they see you even looking at their image wrong, you'll get a you know a bill in the mail. So, yeah. <laughs> you know so. the the, um, the thing is there as well, exactly in the, the same way that Trey thinks on that. With me, I, I not only went back and bought a couple of the CDs that I that I did like, it those the CDs that I made a copy of um, actually led me to buy more music from that artist later. You know, as I started to follow them and as and as they you know they released later work, I'm thinking, oh, they've got a new album out, and I'd go off and I'd buy it. So I mean, th there is something to be said for actually allowing people. Microsoft did it for years um, in China, especially. They they would. Um, they they are turned a um, turned a blind eye to Windows being copied. I mean, in China, you can buy Windows for either a dollar or four dollars or fifty cents or a dollar, and the only difference is the quality of the DVD it's been copied onto, um, and and that's still the case. But a few years ago, Microsoft said, okay, well now we're going to mean we're going to actually put online activation, and we're going to make it a lot harder for people to buy this. And whether it worked in China or not, I don't know, but. The, the, what, what that's going to force is, it's going to force the issue of actually paying for the software. And if you've got to the point where you love an operating system or a piece of software so much and there's no way you can get around paying for it, you've got two choices, stop using it or, or pay for it. Yep. And, or find a, a hack that will, that will <laughs> still allow you to, <laughs> to, to circumvent the, the new code. But right, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. Fill the market with a, with a product turn the blind out to the eye to the theft and piracy for a while and then figure out how to monetize it. I think right. Adobe did that too, although I'm just, you know, looking at that from the outside. Uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, going through high school and what have you, if you wanted a copy of Photoshop, I mean, mm. anybody had one, you know, you just mm. have to ask somebody for the, for the disc and, and away you go. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, because the copy protection was there, but so easy to just, you know, uh, to circumvent that. And now it, you know, it, it's become such an easy path of access to actually pay for the software and get it legitimately that that's almost the easier way to do it. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's a, a pretty solid uh, way about it. And, and to, yeah. to your point earlier, Frederick, um, uh, I've started uploading full resolution images as well because if somebody is going to steal it, well, then they're going to steal the low resolution one anyhow. Uh, if they're going to print it, well, if they're going to go and print it themselves, they never would have come to me anyhow to begin with. And so if they do come to me and want to print, that's great. I'm more than happy to make that, sign the print and ship it off to them and have a conversation. And, uh, and so they're buying not just the artwork, but they're, they're buying sort of that, you know, this person, I want to support this person. I love their artwork. It's not just an image to these people. Uh, and if they're just stealing it, then that's all it is and that's all it will ever be. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of you remember when iTunes first launched, right? The uh it launched obviously with uh, I forget how many millions of tracks in there, but they were all DRM'd, um which made them hard to to move around and I remember Steve Jobs on stage at a keynote saying something about, you know, they they were launching iTunes to make an easy way for people to acquire music legitimately, right? Mm -hmm. Cuz back then the uh, I guess the the antagonist in the whole music industry fight fight was Napster. They were in court at the time and all this. So Apple comes in, negotiates with the nervous music companies to hey, give us let us give you a way to distribute. People are going to buy get your music digitally. They want it digitally, so we're going to give them a way to get it 
and pay for it and you'll get paid. Imagine that, you know? So they put that. And then going back to what I was saying earlier about that frog in the pot analogy, you know, over time, things shifted. Prices went up, DRM came off, and now we're, you know, where we have DRM-free, high-quality, you know, what it, 128-bit music that we can download and move around freely. And still, they're making gazillions of dollars. Apple's market cap, I think I checked it yesterday, was like 500 and something billion dollars. And Google's is 300 and something billion dollars. It's ridiculous, right? And the so. artists can still afford to make new music and, and the world continues to spin. You know, I mean, it, it's not like it completely destroyed these artists' lives. If anything, it changed the record, uh, the, the recording industry, so that those companies are hoarding less money because there's less going directly to them. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, love it. Awesome stuff, guys. What a great conversation. All right, guys, let's move on to uh, the listener Q&A. This is the segment where you guys get to answer a question that has, that has been at the top of one of our listeners' minds. And Martin, I think this question might be targeted at you. And Don, I want you to chime in on this as well. It says, uh, David Foggin from our G Plus community page, which, by the way, has surpassed the 7,000 member mark. So thank Ooh. you, guys. Um, he says, hey guys, I'm looking for suggestions for a photo printer that's good at both black and white and color. And he misspelled color, Martin. You see that? That's why I say it's free. <laughs> <laughs> he says, it must be less than $600. I was looking at the Epson Artisan 1430, but it appears to have a color cast on black and white photos. Mm. The ability to do A3 Plus would be an advantage. Martin, uh, you got like, what, 30 printers behind you in that room? Uh, <laughs> which one should he pick up? Yeah, um, there's. I'm actually. I mean, I I had a quick look at the 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 Epsons that I would. I know that he mentioned an Epson. I had a, a quick look at the prices for the ones that I thought might be suitable, but yeah. they were actually well over six hundred dollars. But what I what I found was, if I was to replace the the printer behind me, the old nine thousand five hundred uh, Canon. I would replace it with a Pro, a Pixma Pro One from Canon, mm. and they retail at nine hundred dollars. But until the end of June, there's a three hundred dollar rebate. Perfect. An instant, so it takes it down to to five ninety nine. So the Pro One, why I would suggest this printer is because it's got twelve color ink. It's got twelve inks, and a whole set of black photo matte, photo gloss for black and white, and gray inks. So. Um, and these are actually big cartridges, so you're not going to be replacing them every, you know, like the little tiny three picoliter uh, cartridges that you can buy. You, you, they, these are good size cartridges. Good. Um, they're individual cartridges, so you don't, when the red goes, you don't have to throw the green and the blue and everything else away. Um, so that's one, and, and you can get that for $600 at the moment. And the second one, the next one down from that is the, the Canon Pixma Pro 10. And that is, um, let me just check, that's $600 uh, right there in the store, but there's a $200 rebate on that as well. So if you want that, you can get it for $400. And that's a 10-color printer. Um, and so, uh, and again, it has uh, both gloss and matte blacks and the, uh, the gray ink cartridge. So I would, I would recommend, I mean, I'm a Canon printer user. I used to use Epson. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with them. They're actually in some ways better than Canon printers. But I think that the main thing at the moment is that Canon is still, the, still climbing the hill on printers. Epson are at the top looking down, yeah. and Canon are still climbing the hill. 
And that's why you won't find Epson giving big rebates and things like that. And yet Canon are saying, oh, well, we need to climb this hill, so here's an extra $200. Plus, <laughs> yeah. plus printers are like the, the razor blade model, modeling model. You, know, right. you sell the printer at a loss because you know you're going to make hundreds, thousands of dollars over the next few years on inks. Um, yeah. So that's there, that would be my recommendation. The Pro One it. It, or the Pro. And it always makes sense. I mean, to go with the number two, the underdog. Remember what was that? Uh, what was that company? Remember, I think it was Hertz, the um, the car rental company. And he said their marketing slogan for a while there. Uh, this was like seven years ago. Was we're number two. We try harder. You know, mm. <laughs> so it was brilliant. You know, you don't yeah. want the number one guy. They're lazy. Get number two. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna work for you harder. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, Don Kamareska, you have anything to add to that on the printer question? Well, uh, Martin covered it pretty well, but if you're looking at other options too, and if you know people are listening to this well after the fact and those rebates aren't in place, um, look for any printer that will have that plethora of ink tanks because you want to have at least one gray ink in the bunch, yeah. and that's going to give yeah. you much better black and white prints because if you don't have a dedicated gray tank, then it has to use other colors to substitute, and you're always going to find at least some kind of a cast. Yes, you can calibrate it, but you shouldn't have to um, you know, if, if you want to get those colors uh, to be you know, at least 90% of the way there. I mean, calibrating things always makes things better on any printer, and you can get rid of a lot of that stuff simply by calibrating it. Yeah. Um, but if you can get at least one uh, gray ink tank, I think uh, you know, when you've got up to 12 ink tanks, there might be two, and then you've got your two blacks, uh, then you're pretty much guaranteed some good black and white prints without those color casts that you've been reading about. Love it. And Martin, Martin, isn't there a there an ebook somewhere on craft craft and vision <laughs> on printing that this this listener might want to go grab? Yeah. Um. If you go to craft and vision, uh, there's actually if you if you use the short code mbp.ac/mbcv for Martin Bailey on craft and vision mbcv that'll take you to my craft and vision page, and in there there's a little book called Making the Print that tells you all about this. Um, awesome. But I, I'm actually, I mean, it's it's strange because I'm one of the photograph articles that I'm writing at the moment is is literally part of it is covering how to get rid of color casts in oh. black and white. Um, the issue nine, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, and I will have my butt um, kicked if I'm not. But issue nine of photograph is going to be a black and white special, and so I'm I'm actually writing an article uh, for for the next issue. In at the moment, and that's about black and white uh, printing. So that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'll tell you, I'm I'm diving into black and white more and more lately. After I just got back from New Zealand um, a couple of weeks ago, and of course I have a folder of images that I'm going to process. And timely enough, uh, uh, Brian Matias over at Google sent me over the the Nick collection, which is you know got Silver yeah. FX Pro in there, yeah. which is yeah. mind blowing when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to editing. It takes a lot for a Photoshop guy to get his brain around the control point piece of it, but mm. man, that thing is crazy. Other things powerful. that you can do with it. Yeah, software. Yeah, you have to, definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Nick Silver Effects Pro and the the Analog Effects Pro suite that they just released. That's pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is just you know I've been diving into YouTube videos on their site, just going like, what? <laughs> I can do that. The software can create a mask like that. I can yeah. I can never do that. You know I I did a whole a whole series as an exercise last week, just as an aside here, 
I did a whole series of wildlife wet plate collodion photos, <laughs> and it, and it's like I mean of course there's no way I mean you couldn't get the you couldn't get the I mean it's birds in flight and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's gimmicky, but it, it it I actually really liked the ten photographs that I made. It was it was it was good, and that was with the um. What would the an, an, not analog um, Anal analog, analog effects? Effect. Analog yeah. effects. Yeah, it was. It's fun, fun software. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. It's definitely a different way of approaching uh, photo editing and post processing than what we're used to with you know even Lightroom and, and and Aperture and Camera Raw and Photoshop. It's just completely different new way of looking at stuff. So mm. I kind of like it. All right, guys, before we jump into the picks of the week, uh, I want to thank another one of our sponsors for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. You can learn what you want, when you want, with high-quality video tutorials at lynda.com. And Lynda gives you everything you need to improve your skills. Lynda offers a variety of instruction. You can learn software, creative business skills, photography techniques, web design, and more. They have over 2,000 courses and over 100,000 tutorials. They offer courses for all levels, and they add new courses each and every day. Their courses are taught by industry experts, and their instructors are accomplished professionals that are at the top of their fields and passionate about teaching. Linda's courses are high-quality video productions, and the videos are made in state-of-the-art studios. They use screenshots, narration, live action, smart boards, charts, graphics, and audio. No homemade YouTube videos here. Linda.com courses are convenient. You can take them anytime from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. Each Lynda.com course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump to in to find a quick answer. You can quickly search transcripts to easily find the information you're looking for. And for one low monthly price of $25, they give you un unlimited access to the entire course library. You can start improving your skills with a free seven-day trial, including unlimited access, at lynda.com slash twip. And you can show your support for This Week in Photo at lynda.com slash twip. We thank lynda.com for their support. Linda.com, what do you want to learn today? Okay, let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you guys, your pick can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Martin, I'm going to let you go first. What is your Pick of the Week? Okay, so I my Pick of the Week is David Dushman's new book, A Beautiful Anarchy. And okay. this this book is the new essential reading on not only photography but uh, the creative life it's a paperback it's not a pretty photos book there's no the, the only photo in the book is on the cover um but it's incredible i i reviewed it um a couple of weeks ago as in pre preparation for an interview that we i just released on my blog mm -hmm. um but it's incredible it's like the new bible of of creativity and it's it's really it's not just about photography it's not sometimes it's not even remotely about photography it's about how to live a creative life and mm. it's got it's got it's like um it's kind of like one of those success books but not in a in a corny way it's actually you feel as though you're being empowered and you're being given the courage to do some some of the things that most people would love to do um, so if you're interested in living a creative life, and by creativity in the book, David says, 
raising kids is creative. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like raising, running a business. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff is is creative. Uh, you know, it's not just actual art, but you know, if you're a potter, if you're a sculptor, it doesn't really matter. A creative life. Anyone that wants to lead a creative life, or in any way, should read this book. It should be like essential reading. Um, but I've uh, I've literally just put a um, a blog post out. It's an hour and twenty minutes discussion with David about a beautiful anarchy. And you've got to listen to it. It's one of the most inspiring conversations I've had. Uh, I, I, I would go as far as far as saying not only one of the most inspiring conversations I've had with David, but one of the most inspiring conversations I've ever heard. So oh, wow. you know, the, the book is amazing. You've got to you've got to get it. But listen to the interview as well. And so that's actually, a, it's an audio interview then. It's an audio interview. Um, so, um, but I mean, you can get straight to the interview at mvp.ac/424 for episode 424. But um, but the there are links to the book in there as well. But really, it's it's an incredible book. You've got to read it. Excellent, cool. What a great pick. Perfect. All right, Don, you gotta you gotta top that one, man. Come on, what's your pick of the week? It's funny because I'm gonna sound like a broken record here uh, <laughs> because I've also I've got a photo book. And uh, this one is called Dialogue with Photography, and and this book follows along very similar lines. Now, uh, this was published in the I think 1979 was when it was originally published, mm -hmm. and it's a conversation, uh, a collection of interviews that were originally published in uh, the magazine Camera, uh, around that same era that interviews sort of the the, the lives of photographers from that uh, that era in the, the photographic world and sort of how they became uh, photographers, what's inspired them, how their careers were shaped, and and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's sort of those hands-on discussions with these people. And yes, photography has changed quite a bit, but the essence of it, you know, being creative and all of that, is still all the same. And and how you uh, become a creative person in a society that might not necessarily cater to that uh, is uh, some of the discussions that 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 are going through that book. And so I, I've only read uh, I. I've, I should have read more of this because it's been sitting on my desk for such a long time. I've only read about 40 pages, but uh, it, it is, it's inspiring. And so uh, I picked it up for 10 bucks at a used bookstore. I think you can get it online for about the same. Uh, and I think that they might have a newer version of it as well. But, uh, you know, those kinds of photo books that don't actually have any pictures or how-to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, tutorials and things, those are so valuable for somebody um, that maybe y you uh, you feel like you're lacking creativity or inspiration. Pick up one of uh, either this book uh, for a couple of dollars or, um, or uh, David Dushman's new book and and just sit down and read, and uh, and I think you'd be a better photographer for it, a better creative in any way. Love it, love it. Feed feed the other side of your brain instead of just you know putting the candy on top of it with the visual, the beautiful visual imagery all the time. I love it. Cool. All right, guys. So my pick of the week is, you know, it's somewhat photography related. So I recently discovered a YouTube. So as you guys may know, I'm a big fan of photography, obviously, but also marketing and psychology and the business aspects of how all this stuff works and how people can, you know, make money from doing the stuff that they uh, that they're so passionate about. So I recently discovered the YouTube channel of this woman. Her name is Marie Forleo. You may have heard of her because she's got a gazillion followers on YouTube already. But if you haven't, we'll put I'll put a link to uh, or we'll put a link to her channel and her site in the show notes. But she does these uh, very well produced videos on the topic of marketing and creativity and motivation and 
you know, just just how to kick yourself in the butt to keep to get what you need to get done to get where you're trying to go. And she's she's got this refreshing sort of real personality. She's a, a Jersey girl who doesn't mince words and is not afraid to, you know, drop an expletive here and there. But, you know, she she gets the job done. She's pretty. She gets up there, articulate, insanely smart, does a quick 10 minute you know, either a discussion about a particular topic or an interview, and then boom, it's it's magic. So I'm uh, I'm addicted to her channel. I'm trying to catch up, and you know, she keeps putting more videos out. So I doubt if I'll ever catch up. <laughs> so def- definitely check it out. Her, once again, her name is Marie Forleo, and uh, you just search for that on uh, on YouTube and, or Google, for example, and you'll you'll find her right away. So good stuff. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. I want to thank our sponsors for, uh, for you know, helping us keep the show going. And also, if you're, you're uh, watching the show or listening to it, or actually if you're listening to the show in the podcast feed, stay tuned for an interview with the wonderfully talented Renee Robin. I sat down with her in a Google Hangout a little bit ago and just chatted about her process her, how she learned to be so insanely good at Photoshop, what inspires her, all this kind of stuff. She, again, another refreshing personality, someone who knows their stuff and is, you know, humble yet confident. So, yeah, definitely give that a listen. And if you want to watch that interview, just head over to my YouTube channel and you'll see the video there. Or, you know, this is the blog post that this episode is embedded in. You'll be able to watch the video there as well. So, Martin Bailey, where can the audience go to uh, check in with you, sign up for your workshops, and, you know, throw poo? (laughs) (laughs) Fling poo. Okay, fling it. Fling it, yes. yes. Um, So, yeah, martinbaileyphotography.com. There are links to everything along the top there, so you can get to me over there. All roads lead to martinbaileyphotography.com. Cool. And Mr. Don Komarechka, what about you? Uh, easiest place to find me is doncom.ca, and I'm most active posting new images on Google+, and all the links are there. Uh, so if you want to strike up a conversation, uh, hit me up on Google+, and uh, check out what I'm up to on doncom.ca. Wonderful. All right, and audience, also be sure to check out our All About the Gear series that I'm doing with Mr. Doug K. We're releasing new episodes of that show all the time. Um, we've recently reviewed the Fuji X-T1. I think that one goes live in a couple weeks. Um, we've done pretty much, you know, most of the cameras that you'd be interested in about right now. So definitely head over there. You can find the link to that from thisweekinphoto.com right in the, the nav bar there. There's a little link that says Shows. And all the shows that we're currently producing will show up right in there. And if you are looking to touch base with me personally, Frederick Van Johnson, you can always find me at my personal site. That's at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, I am here with a friend of mine, Miss Renee Robin. She is a photographer, artist, just sort of all-around creative force on the internet and off the internet, trade shows, workshops, all this kind of stuff. She's one of those people, one of those photographers that's doing 
it. You know, a lot of photographers talk about it. Renee Robin is actually doing it. And if you look at some of her work, as we hopefully we will a little bit later, and we'll, you know, of course, embed some in the page on this week in photo. She is, um, Renee, I got to tell you, you're one of the most talented artists that I've, I'm, and I'm abstracting Photoshop out of it. So you're just a talented <laughs> artist that happens to use Photoshop as a paintbrush. So welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I, that's extremely flattering to hear. Thank you. <laughs> it's true. I mean, have you seen your work? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, a little bit. Maybe a little bit. We're all our, we're all our own worst critics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So let's talk about that. So your work in general, this, you know, some of it's dark and some of it's a little gothic. Some of it, most of it that I've seen is really sexy and young and hip and just like honest, what drives you to create this kind of stuff? What, what's the, what's the force that's like, get you out of bed in the morning and you're like, okay, I got to go make this piece of art right now. To be honest, it's, it's kind of a little bit difficult to explain. I've tried explaining it before, but it's like being plugged into the, like a creative field. Um, it, and this is going to sound like really hippie stuff and not that there's anything wrong with hippies, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's honestly like this thing. There's like this pressure that's pushing from the back of me and it's pushing through my chest and I can't help. It's like this compulsion that like there's something wrong. I'm sick in the brain or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just like, it just pushes me and I can't stop it. You know, I can't help but not get the things that are inside my head and buzzing around me. And, you know, I can't help but get them out and put them out onto paper or mm -hmm. into Photoshop. I mean, when I, it's like I a started, compulsion. Drawing, it's I started like a out drawing, right? And that's how it was when I would sketch. You know, I would have something in my head, and it didn't matter what was around me. If it was like a piece of paper, a napkin, um, you know, my shoes, my arm. I used to draw on my skin all the time because I didn't have any paper available. So I, my mom was always worried that I was going to get some kind of poisoning from the ink because my arms would just be covered because it was like the closest thing that I had. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you're like the the you're like you're like the tormented artist that has all this art inside of her that's busting to get out and you just have to, you can't stop it. I like, it, it makes me think of like these movies with these brilliant people that are like writing formulas on the wall or like, or what was it? Do you remember, uh, you may be too young to remember this, but there's a, you remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind? The Steven yeah. Spielberg movie. So Richard Dreyfus in the movie after he's, like irradiated or something by the aliens gets this vision in his head that he cannot help to see. So he builds this mountain of potatoes in the living room to represent the mountain and all that. And he just, his family's like, what the heck are you doing? You know, <laughs> and that's what you make me think of like having this art in you that you just have to get out of your body some way. Does it kind of feel like that? That it's just like this, this um, drive that you have no idea why, but you know, you have to do it. I don't know if it would be, I mean, like, we're blaming this one on the aliens now, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing the reference here. <laughs> An unseen force. How about that? <laughs> we're going to have, like, a screen flash to ancient aliens and be like, aliens. <laughs> yes, yes. Totally. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's necessarily something that's in my body because I don't really know if creativity comes from, you know, inside the body, maybe to a certain extent, but it feels like plugging into something. You know, it's like when, um, say you have a straw, right, and you're, you put a straw into a glass or something like that. This is like putting a straw into a river, and you're able to get out just like a tiny, 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 tiny infinitesimal percentage of it, you know, and it, it's like, for whatever reason, it's permanently plugged into my back. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. <laughs> it's always trickling in, you know, and it's um, I I don't really know how to describe it other than that, you know, when I when I start uh, editing images, um, you know, it just feels like like there's there's no consciousness, right? You just kind of create. It just kind of flows in from the top of your head down through your chest and out your fingers, right? I mean, like anybody who's doing something that they really really love. Um, I think can attest to that, right? Or whether you're spending time with people that you really love, you can feel it in your chest, right? You can feel it all around you, and time kind of ceases to exist. And that's that's kind of what it's like. I mean, that's that's why a lot of times you'll see me online and I'm I'm ranting at myself, giving myself shit because I've been awake for three days working on <laughs> some images, right? But yep. it's because you, you can't stop, right? So but probably I should be medicated. <laughs> That's going to be the quote of this interview. <laughs> I think I should probably be medicated. So, I mean, that's a that's a true test of this, right? I mean, the 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 uh, incorrect perception of time when you're doing something that you love doing means you like doing that thing, right? Um, whether it's hanging out with somebody and the time just flies by, or you're editing, or you know, like my nephews are always talking about, they're playing video games all the time, and you know, five hours go by and it feels like they just sat down. You know, it's yeah. the same kind of feel, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, when you say, like, oh, I'll just be 10 more minutes, and, like, four hours later go by, and you're like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I guess yeah. I missed <laughs> Yeah, and the opposite of that is, you know, every everything in the universe has a check and balance, right? So the opposite of that is when you're doing something that you hate doing, time slows down. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it also ceases to exist because it doesn't fucking move. <laughs> yeah, it's like I looked at that. I looked at the clock 20 minutes ago, and it's still in the same spot. What's going on yeah. here? Yeah, exactly. You're just like, ah, oh, like you know, grade seven social studies. You're like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Well, kind of. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> let's talk about process a little bit. So you're the you're. Once you have that, you so the straws in your back, and you you know, you you kind of have an idea of the direction that you want this particular piece to go in. What now? Do you sketch it out? Do you get in Photoshop and start playing around with shapes? Do you go take pictures and then work from there? What's what's the next step after the vision has presented itself? That's been as unique as every single photo. Um, some of them I'll I'll previs sketch out. Like if I'm somewhere really inconvenient, which is usually when creativity hits. It's like, hey, you're in the doctor's office. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm more like in an airport or something like that. Um, I always have a notebook on me, like a sketchbook, even if it's like really tiny, um, so I don't have to draw on my arms anymore. <laughs> yeah, good, nice. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I will sometimes sketch things out. Other times I'll write down like the words or something like that. Um, if there's like a feeling or an emotion, um, for example, the uh, the girl jumping off the bridge with like little tiny wings, right? Mm -hmm. um, that one that one hit me. Like I've been I've been wanting to make an image like that for for like a year, two, three years, right? It's, it had been always something there, but it hadn't been really formulated, right? It was like I want to create um, an image that feels kind of like this, and maybe something like this. You know, it's really really vague, right? And mm -hmm. it, it took quite a lot of time before it actually came together to figure out a how to engineer the shot to, to shoot something like that um, and then to composite it and have the skills to do it and it finally hit me when I was flying to Halifax um, a few weeks ago I was I was literally um, on a midnight flight a red-eye flight so I was flying from Vancouver to Halifax I've been awake for like a day and a half at that point I was sleeping on the airplane happily and then the creative genie came along and was like pow <laughs> woke me up and uh, <laughs> I had to 
I like was absolutely inundated with with all the words that I wanted this image to feel right. Um, it was it was, and I don't really draw a lot from personal experience from my own artwork. Lots of people do, um, but this one was was very much so like a, a personal image, and so it was you know the inspiration of what it was like to to quit something that's very very secure and very safe and to basically just like go for it, right? Yeah. And I was finally able to articulate that emotion and that feeling and wrap it into an image that I'd had kind of sitting around in the back of my head for a while. Um, and so I wrote down like words and sensations and colors and you know even um, the music that I wanted to listen to while I was editing it because I'm really, really influenced by, by sound. I'm a little bit of an audiophile. Yeah. Uh, and so it just kind of you know all came together. Um, and then how, so, do you, how do you get to the point of skill where you are now. I mean, are you are you self-taught? Did you, did you just like learn this as you have an idea? Okay, I need to figure out how to put wings on this particular person, and then you just figure it out, and now you have it in your toolbox. Or was it more classical? Oh no, no, there was there was no training. Um, I do I do have friends that know a lot more in Photoshop than I do. Um, I have friends that are uh, game designers and things like that. Mm. And every now and then, I'll just kind of um, pick up just like a little gem of information here and there, but. Uh, as for formal training, there isn't any. Um, Photoshop is a program. It's not a rabbit honey badger. You can open it up and you can start pushing buttons <laughs> and see what happens, right? And um, like I, I tell a lot of people that like I fail my way to success all the time because what happened when I got Photoshop? Um, I opened it and I was like, oh my god, there's a lot of buttons. What do I do? Let's go file new. All right, so that's a white box. What the hell do I do with this white box? Okay, well that looks like it's a paintbrush. Let's draw a little bit. Hey, there's a filter part. You know, and so like I would, I would do a lot of stuff, and a lot of things would look terrible and awful and whatever else. But after enough hours of doing it, you go, hey, that thing that didn't work for this idea, or at least that you know when I created this and it looked like t absolutely terrible, um, I can apply what I did there to this image because it might work. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it was just just trial and error and like hours of it. Like it's, I mean, to I think in some ways you know being good at Photoshop isn't. Um, like a, a skill that is special. It's just a program. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, yes, like, like word. Right. Sit down, being able to sit down and, and paint like and, and sculpt like Michelangelo. That's a that's an artistic skill, right? But but Photoshop is a program, right? It it yeah. has buttons and it does what the user tells it to. So um, it's it's just doing it. It's all it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the takeaway. I mean, a lot of people. Are a lot of people are intimidated by Photoshop because it's a gigantic program, and you know that it can do. It's an industry standard, so you know people in Hollywood are using it, and people down the street are using it. But like you said, you can choose to expose or not expose as much as it of it as you want to. And I one of the things I take away from what you're saying is, which is what I tell people all the time, is to work backwards, right? So once you have something in your head, like that idea genie came and hit you over the head in the plane, <laughs> then you have to figure out, the best way to learn this stuff is to figure out how to execute on something, not go through, in my opinion, go through a tutorial and, and do these esoteric kind of nonsensical exercises to do something. You have to do something on something that you're passionate about and figure it out, and then those brain cells start connecting. You're like, oh, okay, that's how you make a drop shadow. Oh, that's how you do this, you know. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, tutorials Tutorials are awesome and workshops are awesome, but a lot of people, um, what they do with them is they say, oh, well, this is the way to do this, mm -hmm. right? And then they, they follow it. And this happens a lot in my workshops, and they're like, like, oh, well, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. But what they're doing is they're not making a process their own, 
right? They're not saying, hey, for what I'm doing, instead of saying step one, step two, step three, step one, step three, and step eight are things that are going to really help what I'm doing to make my artwork better, right? So that people, they just, like, copy and try to, like, you know, make something that, that isn't theirs, theirs, right? Yeah. And that's why a lot of times when people say, um, you know, well, I'm doing the exact same things you are. How come my photo doesn't look the same? Right? Well, because the way that you create images isn't the same as the way I create images. The steps can be the same in Photoshop, but it's it's not it's not honest to yourself. It's not honest to the artwork. Right? Yeah. So when you when you start implementing and taking, okay, well, if I take this blending mode and I do this here, but if I apply this to the way that I see images, then you have something unique. Yeah. So here, here's a uh, here's a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Here's a uh, a quote. Um, I forget who said this, but it goes, "Good artists create, great artists copy." What do you th <laughs> What do you think about that quote? Um, I think the difference there is um, a great artist copies from lots and lots and lots of different people, right? Mm -hmm. So they say like, "Hey, look at all this stuff that's going on in the universe." They're very open to what's going on. Very in tune. They're um, very aware of, you know, skills of talents and things like that. And they say, "Hey, that's really nice. I'm going to take that little piece of information from here. I'm going to take that little piece of information from here." You're not copying from one source. You're making the entire universe your source of inspiration. Yeah, yeah. It's like synthesizing different ideas into something that's your own, or like yeah. al digital <laughs> alchemy, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, I'm always a fan. I'm, I've always been a fan of remixed music, and now I remix pixels. <laughs> I love it. See, perfect. <laughs> remix pixels. I love it. Um, so before we continue, I, I have a question for you. So you mentioned something earlier uh, about a rabid honey badger. What is a <laughs> rabid? Not rabbit. Rabid. Uh, yeah, rabid honey badger. What is a rabid honey badger? What is that? Honey badgers don't give a shit. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? No. <laughs> we, oh I and think then, those I think then, those creatures might stay north of the border. I don't know. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I can't believe the man of YouTube has not heard of the honey badger. If you All haven't right. heard of the honey badger, go Google search the honey badger. <laughs> and honey badger don't give a shit. <laughs> Alright, so whoever's listening to this, please comment on this video and let me know if you've heard of a rabid honey badger because well, it's not Technically rabid, but it's just a honey badger. I say that it's rabid because a honey badger, it's this video that's on YouTube, and it's about like how badass the honey badger is, yeah. right? And he's like killing stuff that kills other things, like cobras, and he gets like bit by a cobra and dies, but then comes back to life. And it's all like real footage, but there's this dude narrating narrating it, and it's just freaking amazing. Um, so, anyways, the 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 comment, you know, rabid honey badger is because. Honey badgers are so badass, and then you mix in rabbit, they're even more, anyways. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to look that up right after this. I can't believe you haven't heard of, of the honey badger. I, you know, I, I can't say that I have. You know. <laughs> Whoever hasn't seen this, you're missing out on important cultural information. <laughs> clearly, clearly I've been in a closet here. Uh, <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about gear a little bit and workflow. So... So self-taught on compositing in Photoshop, and now you're teaching workshops, so clearly you understand it most better than most people. Um, but as I, I would say your, as, I understand it better than most people. I just um, 
I'm willing to share the stuff that I know. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, but looking at your work speech for itself, though, so, you know, that's the, <laughs> the ultimate resume is looking at the work. People can say all day long, hey, I'm a great Photoshop person, I've been trained at blah, 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 and I know all this stuff, but the work will tell you how good they are, right? <laughs> so, so when you're looking at your stuff, so let's just take me through quickly the so we talked about the inspiration, but let's talk about execution a little bit. So the gear that you're shooting with, are you shooting with uh, medium format, full frame DSLR, micro four thirds, mirrorless, and then once you get the images, where do they go? Do you dump them in the Lightroom bridge? How does that work? They're iPhone. Okay, I'm totally lying. Um <laughs> I'm an iPhone artist only. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm getting I'm getting super into um uh that Nextures app that you can get on your phone. Nextures, I don't know. See more. See you and I need to hang out because you're giving me all this stuff. Nextures, okay. <laughs> Nextures, it's like texture with an M. Yeah. Um, it's an app you can get on your phone. It's like a couple bucks, and it's it's like really awesome Photoshop for your phone. It's really, really fun. I'm, I mean, like, I'm not much of a landscape photographer or an iPhone photographer. I take really dumb photos when I'm traveling. I'm not, they're crappy composed, they're horribly lit and whatever else. But um, <laughs> but um, it's, it's just kind of fun to, to play with, like, all these, these you know, it, it creates layers and stuff like that. It's, it's awesome. Oh. Anyways, um, yeah, I'm throwing that one out there because it's an app that I think is totally wicked for the iPhone. Um, but in either case, uh, as far as equipment goes, I have a Canon 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 50 millimeter lens. That's the one that I travel with the most. Uh, and then I also have a, uh, a 135L lens that I'm on like permanently borrowing status from a friend. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's actually now that I think about it, the 50 mil lens has also been on permanent borrowing status. Uh, <laughs> and you're like not and now that I think about it, the the, the, the 5D too is borrowed. <laughs> no, no, no. The 5Ds I have bought. <laughs> Okay. Um, no, I, just, I totally forgot about it. A friend of mine is a wedding photographer, and uh, when I went full frame, I didn't have a lens because I was—I I mean, I wasn't didn't have a lot of money then at all. And uh, he was like, "Well, I have this 50 mil lens. It's been sitting here for like four years, and I've never used it. You know, you can use it. Don't break it. Don't sell it." And I was like, "Okay, sweet." So yeah, and apparently I probably should just go buy a 50 mil. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in either case, uh, the 50—I have the 50 uh, the 135L, which those two are like definitely my favorite and the ones I use the most. Mm. Um, I have a 100 mil macro after that, and then I have a 16 to 35 for when I shoot underwater and when I shoot background plate. Very cool. And of course, an underwater housing for all that stuff, right? Yeah. It yeah. Helps. It helps. It helps a little. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. And then, and then, are you it's organizing? <laughs> Are you are you organizing your images in Lightroom or in Bridge or how does that work? Okay, well this is this is where um, most of the technophobes. Um, <laughs> this is where I get made a lot of fun of. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I, use, I use Lightroom to shoot tethered, and that's it. Um, oh. Other than that, Lightroom collects a lot of dust. I don't use it for anything. Um, sometimes I will use Bridge. But to be honest, I'm even more archaic than that. Like I'm, I am admittedly a bit of a technophobe because I don't trust new new technology because it blows things up. Um, I actually don't update my iPhone either. <laughs> <laughs> because because you're very afraid of the black helicopters? Is that why? <laughs> oh, no, no. The black helicopters. Is... <laughs> they they are, they're invisible now, so it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, to be honest, every single time that I've updated my technology, um, 
particularly from Apple, it gets crappier and crashes more. I had an iPad um, that used to work perfectly, and I was like, oh, I suppose I should do that update thing, and I did it, and now it doesn't work. It's a brick. Yeah. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so um, <laughs> when it comes to a lot of software, I'm a little bit of the same way. Uh, so I, I honestly, I, I shoot in JPEG, like small JPEG, and then my raw files. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I honestly just copy-paste it into a folder on my computer, just on the hard drive. I go in through, like, File Explorer. Um, the other reason for that is because uh, I have Photoshop set up to take up so much um, processing power on my computer yeah. that there isn't really much left to run anything else, and I don't really want to have Lightroom or Bridge open. I've used, like I said, I've used Mini Bridge before and things like that, but uh, generally I just I have it all memorized in my head where everything is, um, and I keep everything organized um, by like completed clients and then incompleted clients and then you know workshop shoots and then all my stock files and footage and everything like that is all kept in the in the hard drive as well and that's I just have it memorized where everything is so wow that's cool that's the first time I've heard that I mean I've heard people because you you can you if you're organizing your images in your own hierarchy using the file system on the computer that's perfectly fine I mean there's nothing wrong with that um, but but with Lightroom and on the Mac Aperture and Bridge you can point it at that hierarchy and it'll yeah. just give you a better interface of it essentially and yeah. show you all the previews yeah. and, there's, and all there's that. There's lots of really really good things about those programs um, especially like keywording keywording is really really nice yeah. Um, you know, and that's something, of course, that that my system doesn't allow for. I can keyword right. in my head. My computer's like, what? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, that's, it's just kind of how I've how I've done it because I because I travel so much and because I'm acutely aware that my equipment can fail at any time, and it has failed before, and I've had to use systems that are not my own. Um, if I don't have things straight in my head when technology inevitably fails me, um, I have to be able to find all that information. So I, I try to not to become too dependent on the program. Now, Renee, when you're when you're again sort of executing on one of these ideas, how are you assembling the assets? Do you get the idea in your head? You sketch it out somehow, and you're like, okay, you know, I need to go get some feathers. I need to I need this particular model, uh, maybe two of them. I need this kind of background. I need these things, and then you go shoot them and then assemble them. Or is it is it more as you're building it, you're like, okay, this would look great if I had some clouds back there. Let me go shoot some clouds. How does how does the process work? Okay, so um, how how a lot of that works is um, the the creative part of it comes together, and I say, okay, well, I have this I have this idea, right? Um, so let's say, uh, for example, I'll say, okay, I want to shoot a dude in armor, and I start very vague like that. Mm -hmm. um, I have to apologize. I'm still a little bit sick. Uh, That's okay. So, um, I start with I start with ideas. I, I want to shoot a guy in armor, and I go, okay, well, let's find people who have armor. And I go, okay, well, okay, well, I'm in I'm in the city, and there's this guy who's got this really really awesome plate armor. And then I go, okay, well, how do I want this to light? Right? How do I want this to feel? So I think about the lighting usually next before I even say, oh, this is specifically what the costume is going to look like. Um, I don't worry about the costume quite as much. Um, because I, I try to find people who have access to or who have a lot of pride in their own skills, right? Like, I'm not a costume designer. I know that. I don't have a great, um, an, a great eye for aesthetics that way, right, for, for style and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I wear all black for Christ's sake. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't blend very well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I can yeah. that's it. 
So um, I try to find people who have skills that can make up for what I don't have, right? And so in this case here, I'm like, okay, I need an armor. So I find a guy who makes armor because he's got a very, very good eye for that kind of, you know, how to make it look realistic because I don't, I'm not, you know, so well versed in this. I can't install a bunch of armor on somebody and say, oh, this is going to look historically accurate because I don't know, mm -hmm. right? So um, I find people who can bring more to the table than I can in areas that I don't know enough about. Right, and so, okay, so now we have the dude with armor, we have the lighting figured out, um, you know, and then with the previous sketch art, what that does is it's going to say, okay, am I going to have foreground elements, am I going to have background elements, what am I kind of feeling like what they're going to be? Um, and I draw them all down and I write them all out, and then they're either shot or um, I find friends online who may have what I'm looking for, um, and then bring it all together. And then in the post-production part is the part where I just kind of sit down and I take all these pieces and then we just kind of like mash them all together until something works out. <laughs> That's awesome. And then days go by and you're like, like one of the things I hear from a lot of artists is knowing when you're done. Like knowing when, okay, I'm done pushing these pixels around. I'm done remixing. Now it's ready for the world. How, how do you know? Is it, how do you know when it's done and it's ready to show? Um, I, I, I used to wish that I wasn't the kind of artist that was like, oh, it feels like it's done. <laughs> um, but I've turned into one. <laughs> I, I honestly, I run by gut feeling, right? Because because art art is a feeling, art is an emotion, right? So you look at something and you get a sensation when you're looking at it. You're either like repulsed, or you go, "Wow, that's really really awesome," or you go, "Oh my god, I'm so inspired," or that's fearful, or something like that, right? Um, when I look at an image and I sit there and I go, "Okay, I'm either done as much as I can do right now." Right, and you just you just that that creative flow stops. It cuts off. It dries up yep. for like ten minutes. <laughs> you went um, ten minutes. Gone. Stops, right, and and I, I, that feeling stops. And I look at it and I go, okay, you know what? Maybe this is this is done. And I wrap it. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's it's gut feel. All right, let, let's switch gears a little bit. So, I, I, of course, I follow you online, and I remember a, I think it was a thread or a response or something a while back where it was regarding filters or something. And you were, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you were railing against the use of filters, but you were at least, you were at least defending that you did not use filters in your work. Tell me where that comes from. Are you anti-filter or pro-filter? Um, okay, well, there's, there's two sides to that one. Um, the first side <laughs> is, I'm not anti-filter for, for other people. I don't like using filters for myself. Okay. Um, I find that uh, filters mean that things wind up looking the same a lot, and I want every single image to look as unique as I can. So um, the only plugin that I use, and I've used since almost day one, and I've loved since day one, is Nick Software. Mm. N-I-K Software. It comes through Google. Yep. Um, I've used that ever since I found out about it, like, th probably three years ago, um, there was another photographer in town who introduced me to it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the best ever. Um, because what it does is it introduced me to color palettes that I don't normally use, right? But, I mean, other than that, it's, it's really the only thing that I've used. I have tried a lot of different um, actions. I have tried a lot of different plugins and things like that because I... I figure that like, there has to be something to them because lots of people are using them. But I find that this, for my process, um, for the most part, they don't they don't add to my artwork. Love but um, I think when when I get into doing so many layers and so much adjustment, and especially once you start getting into hand painting, mm -hmm. right, like hand drawing and color and stuff like that, 
Um, sometimes actions can be detrimental. Um, but I mean, like for uh, actions work beautifully for millions of people out there. So I mean, it's it's finding a process that works right for for the individual artist. And for me, I just find that it's either hand painting, hand adjustments, or you know, sometimes I'll jump into Nick software. Love it, love it. So Renee, I'm looking. I'm sitting here while you were talking. I pulled up your 500 picks page. So, which is you know again, just crazy. I'm intimidated. I don't even know if I should be talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's let's I'm gonna screen share uh, this window and hopefully you can just maybe talk us through like a couple of these and what the story was behind one. So I'm just gonna. Do you see anyone anyone of these shots that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, just uh, scroll up a little bit. Um, okay. actually, just hold on. I'm, like I said, I'm a little bit sick. I'm my nose. Okay. I came home, I did, you know, four weeks on the road, and I came home and I caught the plague. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Welcome home, you're sick. Like, oh. <laughs> Welcome to the croup, yep. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's talk about um, the mage shot there, the one that's on the far right with the floating book. The f Oh, this guy, okay, Wishmaster? Yeah, Wishmaster, yeah. Okay, so that, that was a self-portrait. We shot that one in Montreal. I don't do a lot of self-portraits really anymore unless I'm in a situation where I kind of have to. But um, So with this – oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, everything froze. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so with this image, this was totally previous out. It was totally drawn together. Um, there's a, a, an armor designer in Montreal. Uh, it's called Fantasy Armor. I was down there, and we were doing a bunch of artwork together because this – this armor designer does beautiful, beautiful custom work. It's really, really nice. And um, so he contacted me, and he was like, hey, let's let's do something. Let's make a bunch of really, really cool photos for the sake of making really, really cool photos. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So one of the images that we were drawing together was um, he, he was interested in having me do a shot, like, with myself. And I was like, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, like I said, I don't do a lot of that anymore, but... Um, so we said, well, how do, how do we do this, right? And so we we sat down and we said, okay, well, let's do something like a mage. Because what we had done, and this is a series of artwork that I'm working on right now, is we did um, a whole bunch of characters. We have, like, paladins. We have, like, you know, goblins and orcs and all this stuff. So we have all these characters for a fantasy realm. What we didn't have was, was a mage. And so I was like, well, you know, back in the days when I was, like, um, probably less of a nerd than I am now, uh, I used to play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I mm -hmm. will come out of it. I'm one of those geeks. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, so, what I, a character I used to play was always like a Typhling War Mage, and I was like, well, let's let's just do something like that. Why not? And so um, we said, okay, well, we have we had to go to the shop and find armor that fit me. Um, I'm like a thousand sizes smaller than the average person who makes armor for, and like I think I fit like a kid size armor. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so we, we drew this out, and we said, okay, so we have, like, a breastplate. Um, you know, I, I bought this really, really beautiful jacket. I'm actually wearing it right now um, while I was in Montreal. And so we said, okay, um, we have a wand. Um, he also makes these really cool custom books, um, you know, and they're, they're, like, leather and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So let's try to do something like, like a floating book and a wand, you know, and we'll just kind of, like, have this, like, cosmic shit going on around the image. And we're like, all right, excellent. So then it was figuring out the lighting. So we have the concept. Um, now we have to figure out where our light source is coming from. And I said, well, if we're going to have the book floating in left hand, 
um, you know, we need light, a light source coming from there, so that's where we put our main light coming from, right, because that was going to exude a lot more light, and then we said, okay, well, we're going to have a wand, well, I'm probably going to have some light coming off the wand, otherwise the wand is going to disappear, so um, we put a separation light there, and then we also just created a little bit of fill light, because when I when I shoot, I edit to have, or I shoot to have a lot of options, because it's a lot easier to add shadows than take away shadows. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. So, um, once we were once we got to shooting this, it was okay. This is our storyboard. We need the floating book. So we we tried a few different things, like we tried throwing the book a little bit, you know, and like just seeing to catch it in the air, and it wasn't really working. So we I wound up um like inside the spine of the book. I just like shoved my fingers into it <laughs> because oh, I, needed, oh. I needed the back of the book to be totally clear. And when you hold it, um, of course your fingers are going to be on it. So I was trying to find ways to to get that. So I just like crammed my fingers up the back of this book. Um, and, and just kind of, you know, held it there and then took a couple shots. So we've had the camera on the tripod, um, we locked in the focus and basically we started just like shooting all the pieces together and in a, in a, a storyboard way. So it was like the book first. Um, there were a few other elements that we shot that I wound up not using in post-production, yeah. but, um, then it was, okay, so now we need, now we need, um, the pose to work, right? Well, I have a remote in one hand, so you have to shoot the left hand first holding the book, right, and so the trigger is in the right hand, and then we switch that, and I put the book away, and then I have the wand in my left hand and the trigger in the right hand, and then we had to shoot the right shoulders, we had to, to shoot the hair going the right way, so we put my hands down, and then um, the, the designer, he was the one who's helping me shoot it, is we would, like, fan my hair to get the hair going everywhere, right, and so we did a bunch of shots of the hair, and so then when we bring it all together into post-production, it's like, okay, so here's the facial expression that I like, Here's the shot of the left hand that I really like. Here's the shot of the book I like. Here's the right hand that looks really good. Here's the angle on the shoulders that looks very, very nice. And then you start putting all these pieces together before you even get to putting the background image in and, like, all the textures and the color and the lighting. Um, and then from there, it's, like, lots of dodge of burning. We start bringing in the color um, and start really telling the story with, like, you know, basically the magic of the shot, you know, um, bringing the textures to life. Uh, matching color temperatures, making everything look kind of the way it's supposed to. So this image here, um, it looks a lot more simple than it actually was to create, and I don't normally put that much work into building a singular pose because I like to be able to get it right um, in one shot with the pose, but sometimes it's not always not always possible, especially when you're talking self-portraits. Yeah. So um, it, was, it was really, really fun to, to make an image like this. So, yeah. And I, yeah. I never play with cool and warm tones in one image. That's just really weird for me <laughs> that's crazy okay so I wanna let me go back in here I'm gonna pick another one that I want you to describe so all right let's go back um, I mean all these are just crazy I mean definitely a distinctive sort of ethereal dream kind of look to these images but looking at this one don't forget me <laughs> yeah okay what's what's this about here Okay, so um, this is um, this is the shot that I did with Kelly in Halifax, right? And so when we were getting the jump shot uh, for the initial one with the little wings, right? Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of people who were telling me, uh, oh, well, you know, the wings are kind of like, you know, they're like a little bit CG. And I was like, well, yeah, they do. You know, admittedly, my skill in Photoshop isn't quite good enough to make the wings look as realistic as I would like. Um, but I said, but without the wings, it looks like a suicide shot. Mm -hmm. And so um, people were like, I don't know, I still would like to see it without the wings. And so I said, okay, 
Well, you know, I have another shot of a city, like a cityscape from the from a high point of view. Uh, ben Ben von Long had sent me sent me three images to work with, and I was like, you know, this one here could actually work. And I, I had shot a bunch of different poses of Kelly jumping in a variety of ways, and I think we kind of messed up her ankle. I felt a little bad. Um, but this this pose here, I had really really liked. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was beautiful, and um, I wanted to be able to do something with it. So. I was like, okay, well, you know, um, let's create an image and see if people still get the suicide vibe from it, right? Or if they feel that it's really hopeful and freeing. Like, what's the individual experience for the image? Mm -hmm. So when I put this together in post-production, um, to, me, to me, when I look at it, it's, it's a very, uh, a combination of very freeing and very, very sad image um, and the responses to the image have been exactly exactly that some people are like oh is this photo about like suicide what the hell's wrong with you um, and then other people are like oh my god that's that's such a beautiful image because it feels so free to them so the individual experience uh, for this one is a little bit more emotional attaching than the other one yeah. Um, but uh, yeah it was it was just you know I had a pose that I really really loved I had a background that I really liked and a little bit of a social experiment now, when you when you create these, what what's the ultimate destination for these these pieces? I mean, clearly, I, I see them online, 500 pics, and on other social networks. But are you creating these for yourself to print? Are they for clients? Are they just to get these ideas out of your soul? I mean, where where do they come from, or where uh, do they go actually? First off, most of my client work doesn't see the internet, so. Um, I would say like 75% of the artwork that I create doesn't go on my Facebook page. That's why there's like stages. On, on the internet where like all I post is like cat memes and like dumb videos and crap <laughs> like that because all of the stuff that I'm working on I can't post right yeah. so um, you know whether it's whether I'm tied into an NDA agreement um, if I've got a commercial client that paid me to say that I didn't make that image um, or if it's just um, you know men or women or couples or something like that that uh, are not comfortable with their photos being online yeah um, you know whatever the reason is so uh, a lot of the stuff that goes online is is uh, personal work or client work that have said that they're cool with it. Um, but more than anything, like I, I, I do have to remind myself very often that I have to create artwork because I love to create artwork. Yeah. Um, you know, if I if I got into this to make money, while well, I'm in this for the wrong business. <laughs> I'm in this right. for the wrong reason. Right. Um, right. You know, not that I'm I'm not starving in a ditch or anything like that, but um, you know, I'm I'm happiest when I sit down and I create artwork because I love to create beautiful images and I do try to to hold on to that as much as I can um, and let me say I, I do sell prints of artwork I mean I have a smugmug page um, renerobinphoto.smugmug.com and I, I sell prints through there um, the ones that I'm allowed to print and sell um, and I'm also working on an art book oh cool that's, That's cool. the first public announcement of that, actually. <laughs> oh, a TWIP exclusive. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I, am, I am working on an art book, uh, and it's uh, hopefully will come out in the next year or so. It's, um, it's a massive undertaking to make what I've got in mind anyways. So. <laughs> This is crazy. This is crazy. That's good. So, what what's next for Renee Robin? I mean, what's the what's the what does the future hold? And and more importantly, what does success look like for you? I mean, what when when you're, I mean, when can you sit back and say, okay, I'm done. I did everything I needed to do, and I'm good. Or is there a time that looks like that? 
there's a, this is a career in the arts, man. You're never done. Exactly. <laughs> you, can never, you can never know everything. You can never, um, I don't think it's possible to stop being an artist for most people. Um, there was, there was a time, um, a few, few months ago where I was, I was really, really stuck in a dilemma and, uh, I was, I was very, very upset and I didn't really know uh, what to do. Um, I was feeling extremely lost. I didn't have a direction. And I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, I said, you know, I'm thinking that I might just, I might stop shooting. I might stop creating art and just go get like, go out, get a job and you know, have that consistency, have that consistent paycheck, have that security and stuff like that. And I said, because I can't keep, I can't do both. I have to either have a job or I have to create artwork because I'm, I'm like OCD. Um, when I create art, I can't like, it's just, it consumes everything about me. And um, he gave me some of the best advice, and I quote him very often. He said, if you quit art, it'll be the worst 15 minutes of your life. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. See, that's I, a good quote. That needs to be on a T-shirt or something. <laughs> it is so true, right? And, and I tell a lot of other people that too. Like, if you're, if you're really an artist, it's, it's, you, you can't stop it. Um, so I don't really know if, if that, you know, saying that I've done everything or anything like that is even possible. Um, because there's there's so many possibilities. Like we live in a world of ultimate possibilities. Um, you know, we have access and capabilities to do just about anything that we can imagine, right? I mean, I, I came from you know, I my entire life I've been exceptionally poor up until the last couple of years, right? And that's because I've worked my freaking ass off. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, a lot of people they they message me and they're like, oh well, you know, I wish I had the ability to to travel around the world and do stuff and you know, oh, you're so lucky. And it, like, I think people saying luck just mm. like cheapens the work, right? And and it's it's so yeah. true because, you know, I was just as disadvantaged and just as advantaged as most people. I mean, yeah. I started my professional photography career when I couldn't walk, right? Because yeah. I was involved in a motorcycle accident, right? Oh wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, that's how I started shooting professionally. Actually, was um. I was, I was, uh, I ride a motorcycle and, um, you know, luck ran out one day or actually I've, I've learned to look at it that I got lucky that day because I was lucky enough to get run over by a truck. Um, I lost the ability to walk, but it forced me to shoot photography full time. And it, that's when I found how much I love doing this. Wow. Right. And it, it's thrown me onto this like completely crazy road, like, you know, path of life that I never, ever, ever would have expected. I mean, Five years ago, it was a joke that I'd never be a professional photographer because my photos were so bad. They were they were absolutely awful, right? Yeah. But um, to have people say that that there's there's an end line in in having a creative arts career, uh, I think is craziness. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that there's there's just there's so much that's out there that you can do. Um, for me, success is being able to love what I do every single day. And admittedly, I don't love what I do every single day. Admittedly, some days I absolutely hate my life because, <laughs> you know, whatever reason, some trolls being a jackass online or something like that or yeah. I'm having problems getting images out or my computer died or my equipment failed or my luggage got lost or whatever. Right? Like there's, there's lots of things, you know, or like, you know, when the inevitable life things happen, when people die, right? Like, I mean, like it's life. Life happens to all of us, right? And yeah. so um, there because we have such an access to the internet, because we have such access to travel, like travel's never been more affordable than it is now. Is it still expensive? Yes. But can you work your ass off, save every penny that you have for a year and catch a plane ticket to Thailand and and live there for $3 a month? Yes. Yes. Yes, <laughs> right? you can. Like, yes. There, 
there's no more excuses why you can't do something other than lethargy. There's only reasons why you can, and that's where people really have to rewire their head, right? You have to stop thinking of the reasons why you can't do something and make the the most of what you can with what you've got. And I also look at like beauty that way, right? You know, people say, you know, oh, I wish I looked like you, or oh, I wish I looked like you. Well, I don't know a human being that doesn't have body issues, right? I don't know somebody who doesn't have something about themselves that they would go, you know, that'd be cool to change that a little bit, right? Um, right? But you know, somebody is looking at you and seeing the same thing, right? Or maybe you don't feel that that's the way that it is, but make the most of what you've got. Don't stop wishing that you're in different situations. Stop wishing you were in different scenarios. You know, like create. Create your life, take control of it, right? Own that shit because nobody else is gonna live it for you. And that's yeah. that's what I think is really awesome about having a creative arts career and being creative. Like I've never seen in my entire life so many creative people. Every person I know is creative. Doesn't mean they're a photographer, but they're like, oh, you know, I overhauled my bike engine and I built like this this random invention on my bike that's like impre- like improved efficiency on my engine. Or something like that, right? Like, like people are creative in so many ways now, and that is the most awesome thing for for like you know this planet at this point in time. Because if you don't have a creative culture, that means that people are trying to survive, right? People are just trying to watch their kids grow up safely. They're trying to just feed themselves, right? When we have a culture that we do right now, which is this massive arts culture, I mean, we have new movies popping out every three hours online, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome and it's so cool. Right, so having that like availability and that safety for things for like the entire world to start being creative is is so inspiring. So um, yeah, I don't think that there is an end to to having yeah. an art career. You know, I might just change the medium. It's kind of like we're in this uh, this digital pixel database renaissance again, where everyone's just <laughs> an explosion of everyone creating everything and sharing it with everyone, but it's global now, right? Yeah, and it's awesome. I mean, like, you can learn anything. I mean, like, the universities are now opening up their programs for free online. They're like, hey, here you go. You want education? Learn it. You know, like, you can go to Flurn and spend 30 bucks and learn something that five years ago, two years ago, didn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a guy who's out there, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm stupidly creative and part genius and a little bit mad. Um, <laughs> and he's like, I've made all these videos. Here you go. Have fun, right? And, like, the, the school of YouTube is full of that. I mean, I wanted to learn how to change, um, what the hell was it? It was something something on my motorcycle engine. I was trying to figure out how to change. I think it was like doing the needles on my carbs or something like that, my carburetors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how the hell do I do this? And I just like loaded up Google and like there were like a dozen videos of guy, of like people who were like, hey, this is how you use, you know, this is how you do the needles on your carbs. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I didn't have to go down and, and pay somebody. Did it take me a lot longer because I didn't pay somebody? Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, the, the, the access of information is everywhere. And so, like, ignorance now is just a choice, man. It that's is- right. That's right. Like you said before, lethargy or lethargy or, you know, it's, that's a choice. And, you know, and it, it, you know, I think it reminds me of, like, when we had the whole desktop publishing revolution and it was like, you know, you the the fear from traditional quote graphic designers was like oh man you know these kids coming on with these desktop publishing programs and you know <laughs> all these fonts and all this crap they're going to create whatever they want and they're going to ruin the industry um, but what it did was it just served to separate the people that had skill from the people that didn't it gave those the people at the top of the pyramid more tools to make 
even more amazing things, and then, you know, the natural sediment just sort of floated to the bottom, right? Yeah, and it's, it's like, it's now, because, like, the access of, like, software, like, Adobe Creative Cloud is, like, 10 bucks a month, and you've got Photoshop. Like, really? <laughs> $10? That's it? That's, like, a pack of smokes up here in Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's um you know it's we're no longer separated by money. I mean, even medium format cameras are are getting are getting way more affordable, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like they're offering financing options and things like that. So I mean, just like we're not limited by money anymore. I mean, all of my equipment, every single piece of my equipment. I mean, I do, I admitted earlier, like that 50 mil lens is on extended borrow. The 135 mm lens is on extended borrow. Um, all my all my like my underwater housing. My bodies, everything that they're all used. Even the laptop that we're talking on is is bought used, right? Yeah. Everything except for my laptop was under a grant, right? Did I have to work my ass off and save for it? Yes, but I mean, it's not like buying a good DSLR camera now is is you know you have to have five thousand dollars saved up if you want to be the you know the the early adopters. Then of course you know if you've got the financial backing to do it, go for it. But yeah. I mean, I've seen people create absolutely freaking amazing stuff. With a point and shoot camera. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You can buy this for like 150 bucks. I mean, you could you could like you know find one probably in a Goodwill store at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's know, funny. It's funny you talk. You were talking earlier about luck, and you know people say that all the time about different things like, oh, you're so lucky that you get this, or you're so lucky that this, you know, and and it, for me it's kind of a double-edged sword because luck. I see luck as the nexus or the point where hard work, skill, and opportunity kind of come together. Because without one of those things, it's going to go right by, right? So hard work, skill, and opportunity, when they come together, then you have quote-unquote luck, right? Well, <laughs> and, luck and luck, right? Because what all you're doing is, is you're creating... When you, when you work towards a consistent goal, right, whatever that goal is, if you are constantly working towards that goal, you're creating situations and scenarios for those things to happen. So I don't even know if that's luck, because you're just allowing for those possibilities to happen. I mean, like, if you're, if you're into the world of quantum physics at all, um, you know, that's, that's really, like, you know, I, I quite enjoy quantum physics. I'm a bit of a, bit of a nerd about it. Um, you know, I don't know everything about it. Right? I just spend too much time in Photoshop. But... Um, you know, the world, the world of quantum physics really talks about having, you know, creating this world of possibilities and, you know, creating your life to open up pos other possibilities. So if you are constantly working towards a goal and you're saying, um, okay, for example, here's, here's a good personal example. Um, November 2012, I was like, you know what? Here's a random goal. I've never been to Europe. I've always been way too broke to go to Europe. I've never been able to afford it. I've read books. I've looked at pictures of Europe since I was two years old. I want to go there so bad it hurts, right? And so I said, you know what? This time next year, I'm going to be in Europe. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to, I am going to do everything I can in my power to create a possibility for this outcome to happen. <clears throat> so January came along, and there was like, hey, there was a possibility to go to Europe, right? My car died. <laughs> Actually, it was December. My car died. All my money that I had saved up that I was going to go to Europe with went to buying a new car mm. 10 days before I was supposed to fly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so I was like, shit, bad luck. Damn it. I was so, I was so mad. I was so mad. I was just like, ah, I was so close to going to Europe, you know, and I, like, I could feel it so bad. I could taste it, right? And it was like, oh, here's your dream, and gone. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, shit. 
So then June came along, and there was an opportunity to go to Europe in June. And the same thing happened. My lights died, and my laptop died. All the money that I had saved up. <laughs> the universe is conspiring to keep you out of Europe. <laughs> exactly, right? And then so from there, um, uh, then I was introduced to a guy in Amsterdam, and he was like, hey, we're really interested in possibly having you come over. Let's do some classes. Let's hang out. Let's see Europe. And I was like, oh, my God, yes. And sure enough, November, like one year, almost to the date, I wound up being in Europe. But it was because I was constantly trying to create opportunities for that outcome to happen, yeah. right? So I was, I was looking at European artists. I was looking at, you know, the education system over there. I was looking at people, the movers and shakers that are happening over there, right, and starting to get in touch with them. And eventually, piece by piece by piece, these things happen. You know, it didn't happen exactly the way I wanted it to. Ideally, I would have been able to keep my car and go to Europe in January a year earlier. But, yeah. um, you know, it happened to work out just that fine. So yeah. That's what they yeah. say. I mean, it's kind of like uh, the the whole idea of pre-visualization of goals, right? And, yeah. and I mean, you're, you're, what you were pre-visualizing was the trip to Europe, but, you know, a lot of folks, will, myself included, I have like a vision board of this is what I want to be able to do. This is the house I want to live in. This is the car I want to be driving. This is what the yard looks like. And this is what the yacht looks like. And, you know, <laughs> and this is what the, you know, the vineyard in Champagne looks like that I'm going to be purchasing. You know, so it's like you have all these things in your head that are like really, really far out. And then when you come back to real time, your brain is sort of even subconsciously laying the bricks to get to that goal. Yeah. Whereas if you don't if you don't have that goal set, then you're laying the bricks randomly to get to random places, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I look at creating images the same way, right? I have these like crazy grandiose end goal things that are just kind of like fuzzing around in hyperspace, and um, you know, I'm creating you know opportunities for these images to happen, right? Even if I don't have a, a very conscious direction that I want them to go, I have a general feeling. I'm not just kind of like spraying out there and hoping something lands. Like, I think the only luck I've ever had in my life was that I was, I was unfortunately, I was unluckily lucky enough to get run over by that truck. Right, right. <laughs> um, because it put me down onto this path, right? But still, like, even that morning, um, I was creating options for that to happen. It was pouring rain. Um, right. You know, the pavement was slippery and everything like that, and I was driving in, in rush hour traffic. And for what I had managed to avoid, five accidents before finally one got me that morning. I don't know what it was. There was, it was like the universe was like, nope, you're going to, this is going to hurt today. This is, <laughs> you know. The like, universe, the universe had six, it had six bullets in the gun and it got you on that last shot, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a movie at a final destination, man. Like I, like my bike split out on me in one, like it was just like every single thing. And like literally one like around the corner from where I was working it was like I was going to turn right and that's where the accident happened oh. you know so um but like I think in some ways there there's ways there's some things that just seem to not be able to avoid you know anybody who's gone through anything um in trust their life me, I trust me um yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's a different conversation um yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what's next for you. I know you, you know, I'm sure we're encroaching on your time on this Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day here in the United off. States, by the way. Um, what? So I'm doing, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. So what, what's, uh, what's next for you on like traveling, workshop-wise, projects? What's, what's coming up next for you? 
Alrighty, so next, I'm actually leaving for Houston in three days. I I, I love Texas. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> The barbecue, it's so good. <laughs> yes, that's Texas. No uh, yeah. oh, barbecue. Yeah. To anybody who's vegetarian or vegan, sorry, I like animals. Um, <laughs> it's like I like to eat animals. <laughs> They're delicious. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I, I'm gonna go to Houston. I'm gonna go down there for about seven days. Uh, I've got a bunch of friends down there. Um, kind of just gonna hang out and do some shit. Um, after that, I am gonna be out in Prince Edward Island. Um, I'm doing some work with the PPOC out there, doing just a class with them. Mm -hmm. yes, professional I, Photographers of Canada? Yes, yeah, okay. sorry. Um, uh, professional Photographers of Canada, the PEI edition. Um, then I'm taking my motorcycle for a week through southern BC, and I am not taking any technology. <laughs> not even a cell phone? I will, I will take a cell phone in case there's an accident. But okay, that's it. Good, 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 good. <laughs> that's it. I am, I am unplugging for a week, and I'm so excited. Um, other than that, uh, I will be in Europe again. Uh, it looks like we're going to be doing it for August and September. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to go to Fotokina because that's in Germany, oh, and I've never yeah. been. Before. I don't. Be awesome. I know. I don't. I don't know. I've never been there before. So um, if there's anybody who wants me to speak in Germany at Fotokina, let me know. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Contact Renee yeah. right now. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, other than that, there's there's uh, Photo Plus in New York. Yes. As you mentioned. Yeah, yes. so that's going on. Um, I'll be also speaking at uh, PPLC in Edmonton um, after that. And then there is going to be um, probably some stuff back in Europe again in uh, January, February area, things like that. So, I, I mean, I'm already booked all the way to April next year, but it's not all announced yet, so... That is so cool. So busy. So that's, you know, that your story, thanks for sharing that, by the way, because you're the, the stories you describe it of not having found your direction slash passion and then boom, the scene of the motorcycle accident and then the epiphany of I like photography because you were somehow, you know, kind of constrained into doing it. And now you're this awesome artist who's traveling the world. That is a, that's a script, Renee. You need to write that. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> you need to write that. That is a script, or at least create a series of images that illustrate that 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 process. You know, from yeah. the, the Renee before <laughs> to the Renee of today. That would be awesome. I'd buy that. The Renee before was very angry and very lost. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. So, um, artwork, art has really, really kind of saved my life in a lot of ways. So, yeah. um. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, hey, you know, thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been I, we've been trying to schedule this for a while. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this. It's been <coughs> amazing to chat with you again. I'm humbled by looking at your work. It's just crazy, and especially considering that you know this is all self-taught, and this rivals everything. You know, so it's it's good stuff. So congratulations on the body of work. You know, keep creating. We'll keep watching and seeing what you're up to. And uh, you know, where where should folks go to uh, to connect with you online? Would you like them to visit your five hundred pics page or Twitter or what? Yeah, Twitter Twitter is like a ghost town. I post there often, but um, my Twitter is lonely, so please go follow the Twitter page. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, Renee Robin Photo with a Y dot com or yeah. at Twitter, just Renee Robin Photo, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Instagram, which is at Renee Robin Photography. Um, there's my Facebook page, which is really prolific. Um, it is a little bit vulgar, so <laughs> if 
vulgarity offends you, maybe avoid Facebook. <laughs> vulgar? Um, what do you mean? You can't describe your work as vulgar. You mean it's just, you oh, know. I hate vulgar, though. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I'm very okay. fond of the F word. <laughs> ah, the vernacular. There you go. Yeah, cool. the vernacular, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that um, makes me want to go there even more. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Then there's the toned down Google Plus page where I'm like all polite. I I just I akin my Google Plus page to like you know the Renee that goes to church. <laughs> nice. So the angel yeah. Renee and the devil Renee is on uh, on Facebook. Got it. Yeah, it's Facebook.com/slash Renee Robin Photography. Honestly, you can Google. There's there's like images and crap all over the place. Um, yeah, yeah that's what I'm gonna suggest. Just Google Renee R E N E E Robin R O B Y N and just enjoy the, the, the search results. Right? Yeah, well, um, if you search just Renee Robin, you're going to catch a lot of my modeling stuff. So, yeah. you ready for that? Because um, uh, it's been 16 years now. I've been, I've, I still model a little bit. Um, not as much, of course, in the last year and a half, but um, I, still, I still book the occasional job every now and then, which is odd. <laughs> so if they want to see, they want to see Renee Robin the the model. Just Google Renee <laughs> Robin. If they want to see your photographs, Renee Robin photography, and they'll see the yeah. other side of you. Yeah, yeah, there that does happen. I've, I've googled myself before, and the photography does show up, but um, yeah, the, the the modeling stuff still is is floating around the internet. So, um, yeah, yeah. Other than that, uh, trying to think if I have anything cool coming up. I'm hoping to do some work with a couple of video game companies here, but we'll see if that all pans out. That is so cool. We'll have to check in. I'm going to check in again with you. We'll we'll touch base at Photo Plus for sure, but I want to check in with you again just on TWIP just to see where things have progressed to because it seems like you're on a you're on a rocket ride right now. I don't know. It's just a lot of not sleeping very much. You know, things sound like they're really exciting, but honestly, I sit in front of this computer a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, don't we all, places. don't we all? <laughs> yeah, in weird places with bad Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's 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 um, you know, a lot of people kind of put on the the rose-colored glasses when they they look at things, and you know, there's exciting moments. But that's like two percent of the time. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Perception is not always reality. That's for sure. It's cool. so true. But thank you so much for having me on. Um, I guess we'll see how everything goes here. I've never done a Google Plus Hangout before. I'm glad nothing's crashed. No, it's been fine. It's been great. You got people watching live, by the way, so say hello to your fans. They're watching you. What's up, guys? <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be live or not, otherwise I would have thrown it up on the fan page and stuff, but oh, is this recorded though, hey? Yeah, no, this is great. Yeah, so you can, you will, I'll give you the link and you can share it afterwards. Awesome. Alright, well, cool, Renee. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're really great. Thank you so much. Toodles, guys. Bye.